one every fourth Saturday of every month last year, except December the 25th. And I got tickled at a guy from, where was he, what, North Carolina, South Carolina, or somewhere, or, or North Dakota, wherever it was. He called me the other day and said, I heard one of your tapes, and I want you to know you told a lie on your tape. I said, I told a lie? He said, yes. I said, well, gee, I'm so sorry, sir. I said, I, I didn't mean to tell a lie. He said, you said on one of your tapes you was not going to have a healing school in just in the fourth Saturday of the month because it's the 25th of December and nobody would be there. I said, well, what's wrong with that? He said, if you'd have had one, I'd have been there. I said, well, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said, it might have been you and me. <laughs> but I said, I didn't want to have one on Christmas Day because I didn't think there would be that many people that would come. So I said, that's why I didn't have one. So I didn't, I didn't think about it like you thought about it, so I didn't intentionally tell a lie. But anyway, we're going to come. Uh, have you got a mic? Or are you just going to sing on a mic? Oh, okay, that one right there. Okay. So we're going to start off the healing school today. Uh, my lovely wife, Cheryl up here. She is uh, writing music uh, now for the ministry. Uh, we have like a CD that's called Sozo Me, Lord, and this, uh, I think that's the song she's going to sing, the first one, Sozo Me, Lord. That's the first song on our CD, and uh, we only have five songs on the CD that's out here right now, but very soon, uh, within another two or three weeks at the most, uh, we'll have ten songs on that CD. And uh, if you want one of those, all you got to do is uh, sign up for it or something. We'll send it to you free and postpaid. And if you want one of the ones that that has the five songs on it, they're, they're over there. We have a pretty good stack of them. And so they're over there, as well as uh, several of our CDs, our video, audio, and so forth. Uh, if you pick up a little disc, and they all look the same, some of them are DVDs, uh, but it's got a little, about a quarter inch high letters down on the bottom that says DVD. So if you don't have a DVD player and you have a CD player, you need to look to see what you're picking up because if they're DVDs, you got to have a DVD player, and then it's video as well as audio. But we got all of that now, and we're getting more and more uh, things all the time. But anyway, they're free, and uh, you take what you want. If you want to give a donation for the tapes, you can, but it's not required. And the reason I give them away is a lot of times the people that have been beat up by the enemy the most, they can't afford the information, and without the Word of God, you can't be healed. And so, with the Word of God, you can't. So, I'm going to let Cheryl. We're going. To, I'm going to pray right quick to get started, and then Cheryl's going to come up and sing a song for you, and then we're going to go into our teaching. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. I thank you that you are the King of the universe, the Lord of Lords, God of gods. I thank you that you're the Savior, the Healer, the Deliverer. You're our Lord and our God. And Lord, I ask you to bless what we do here today because we're going to do it all in your name, the name of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Now, Lord, bless us as we go into your teaching here in a few minutes. And Lord, I rebuke the enemy, which is Satan and his host. I command them to not steal a single word out of anybody's mind or heart here today and that everybody that's here today will get the faith they need to get. They will repent of their sins and they will all be healed because you're the healer. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's get into the Word of God. <clears throat> okay, first place I want you to turn 
in the Word of God is in Psalms 107. And I want you to see what the Lord has to say here in Psalms 107. Verse 20. I want you to see what He sends to heal you. To get healed, you need to know the Word of God. Now, some people, in fact, I had a, uh, a term used a while ago I haven't heard in a long time. But I heard somebody say, are you a faith healer? And I said, no. I, there's not anything in the Word of God that calls people faith healers. People get healed by faith, but God doesn't send a faith healer to heal you. This is what God sends to heal you. And the answer is in Psalms 107, verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So he sends his word to heal you and deliver you. It is the word of God that will heal you and deliver you. So without the word, you cannot receive your healing. You must believe what God has provided for you in his word. Now then, while we're right there, I want you to turn over just a few pages to Psalms 119. And I want you to go to verse 119, verse 67. Psalms 119.67. Now I want you to listen to what the Word of God is trying to tell you here. Listen very closely to what God's Word is saying. Psalms 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept your Word. Right in the middle of this big, mighty, powerful psalm, 119, the longest psalm in the Word of God, he made a statement right there in the middle of it in Psalms 119.67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. So what is the message? What's he trying to tell you? Don't go astray. Don't sin. Walk holy before him. Before I was afflicted, or before I was made sick, I went astray. Now, the devil can't just come upon you and put sickness and disease upon you in a heartbeat without legal right. Now, to prove that to you, I want to take you to Proverbs 26, 2. Turn over a few pages to Proverbs 26. And I want you to look at this. Verse 2, Proverbs 26, 2. As the bird by wandering, as is swallowed by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. The curse causeless shall not come. In other words, if the enemy could come to you and put sickness and disease upon you anytime he wanted to with no cause, guess what he would do to every one of us? He'd take us out. 
because the devil hates you. He hates you with a passion. He has no love for no one. And he comes, John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The devil come to steal, kill, and to destroy. That's his goal, and that's his project in his existence, is to steal, kill, and to destroy. Let me put it to you like this. You can look at the devil as God's police officer or enforcement agency. It's kind of an awesome way to look at it, isn't it? But that's what they are. You and I today are under grace. When we get saved and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become children of God. Once we become children of God, according to the Word of God, at that point when we got saved, we accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, every sin we've ever committed in our life up to that point was washed away by the blood of Jesus. We got a clean slate. It takes a pretty merciful God to do that. To wash away and forgive everything you've done. Because some people, some people will go through life and be deceived by the God of this world, which is Satan. And they will go through their entire life, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years and never come to know Jesus. Now, pile up sin after sin after sin. And many of them had many sickness and disease and all kinds of problems. But then one day they come to Jesus. Somebody learns how to pray, pray the Pray the prayer of faith for them. Kick the devil out of their life. Take authority over the enemy. And then that person will get saved. And when they get saved, even if they were 80 years old and had sins piled as high as the sky, when Jesus saved them, every sin they committed was washed away and they become just as clean and pure as you and I. But once you get saved, even if you're 11 like I was, or maybe you were 15 or 20 or whatever you were, when you got saved, you didn't realize that Jesus not only saved you on the cross, but he healed you before that by taking his stripes. By his stripes, you were healed. So Jesus, before he saved you, he healed you. Now then, I want you to go to Isaiah. Isaiah 53, and I'm going to show you this. In Isaiah 53, starting with verse 4, I want you to see what the Lord has said here. Now, the prophet Isaiah said this over 700 years before Jesus came to the earth. Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who hath believed our report? Well, let me tell you, the promises of God are so awesome. Most people say today, in fact, you hear these stories on television, if you watch television, I don't watch TV, secular television, but years ago I used to. And somebody would say, you know, if you'll just spend $39.95 for this project, product that we got here, you can turn this into millions of dollars. Now that sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, let me tell you, it probably is. Because if they could sell you something for $39.95 and you could turn it into millions of dollars, they would be doing that. So it is too good to be true. So since we're trained up believing that those kind of promises are too good to be true, too many people 
will not take these magnificent promises that God made us in His Word and believe them, we will believe it's too good to be true. Like the other day, a man that runs a large ministry in the United States has called me several times, and many different people I have prayed for with him over the phone, those people have been healed. We've had several miraculous healings, but I'll usually spend anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half on the phone with them to get them to confess all their sins and to build their faith. And so we've prayed, and several of the people have been miraculously healed. So, I mean, we had one young man that was ready to have back surgery. Uh, he's walking in a walker, and I prayed for him after getting his sins confessed. And in five minutes, the guy's running around, and a year later, he's still running around without any problem with his back. Or almost a year later. It was, I think, in March or something last year, February or March, when I prayed for him. A couple weeks later, that same gentleman called me with a young man. Now that this young man, the second one he called, he can't even walk with a walker. He's down flat of his back. And so they take a phone to him, and I talk to him for an hour and a half or whatever and get his sin. Now, this young man was living in sin. He had some sins that a lot of young people that are 25 years old live in. And when you got those kind of sins and you're living in them, you don't realize that sin begins to deteriorate your body. And sin brings forth death. Well, it had started very quickly with this young man. So once he repented and I prayed over him, he was instantly healed. The king instantly healed him. And this young man got up and went out for a hike, walked a couple of miles, and then that night he played basketball until 2 o'clock in the morning because he'd been down. And so this, a couple of weeks ago, this gentleman called me and told me both these young men are doing fine. And so he's called me for many people over the last year for me to pray for people. And some of them get healed, some of them doesn't. Well, the other day he called me about a man that a lot of people know, so I won't mention his name. And he's, he's in his 40s, had a family, and he's a great man of God. But he had a sickness. I spent an hour and a half or two hours on the phone with him, teaching him and showing him what God's Word says. And then I prayed the prayer of faith for him. And a few weeks later, the gentleman that called and asked me to pray, called me the other morning and said, so-and-so died. He said, you know, I don't understand, Thurman, why he died. He kept telling me, I believe Jesus is going to heal me. I said, that was his problem. He said, what do you mean? I said, he kept believing it was going to happen in the future. That's hope. That's not faith. Faith knows it's already been done on the cross 2,000 years ago. And when faith gets a hold of it, it's already done. Well, if I'm healed, then why am I going to lay here in this bed? If I'm healed, I'm getting up, I'm going to do something. If I'm healed, I'm going to stomp my feet and tell that devil, Devil, you ain't having me in the name of Jesus. If Jesus has already done this for me, then I'm not going to let you do this to me. And sometimes you have to get forceful with the devil. If he gets into your life because of sin, he is very difficult to get out sometimes, even after you've repented of your sin. I know I've had some battles with him myself. But look what the Lord says here in Isaiah 53, 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the Lord of the arm revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Did you ever see a picture painted of Jesus that wasn't a beautiful picture? 
That wasn't Jesus. There is no pictures of Jesus. He was not a beautiful, handsome man. He was just a normal man. Probably six foot, six foot one, six foot two, probably weighed 170 to 190 pounds. He was some kind of a man, but he was a rough, tough man. He didn't come as a beautiful, handsome creature so everybody would desire him. He just come as a man. And that's the way he did. Then he says, He is despised and rejected of men. Isn't that amazing? This man would be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs or our pains and carried our sorrows or our sicknesses. That word in the Hebrew the one grief there is translated many other places as pain. And the one that's translated as uh, sorrows there is translated sickness in many other places. So surely he has borne our pain or our griefs and carried our sorrows or our sicknesses. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So there's every kind of healing possible right there. Spiritual, physical, and emotional. It's all already been done. Now then, to confirm what the prophet wrote here, for he said that he done all these things for you. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. It's already done. Now, this was written over 700 years before the king come to the earth. But I want you to turn to Matthew 8, and we get a confirmation of what was written there. Matthew chapter 8. And you'll see in Matthew 8, 16 and 17 what Jesus had to do to heal the people. Now, a lot of people, when I talk about you need to repent of your sins before you can get healed. I was up the northeast here a while back, and somebody said, you know, I've listened to a lot of your tapes, and I see where you say people need to repent before they can get healed. But said, Jesus did never ask people to repent before they got healed. I said, one of us are reading the wrong book. I said, the book I got says that Jesus sent John the Baptist six months in advance. And John the Baptist had one message. What was his message? Repent. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's John's total message. He walked all across Israel, all across the nation, screaming, Repent, you bunch of sinners, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. What do you think it means to repent? Turn from your wicked ways. Stop sinning. So, in six months, as John walked across this, that nation for six months, screaming at the people, repent and be baptized, it says the whole nation came and repented and was baptized. And what was Jesus' message? Repent. Jesus also, when he started preaching, the first thing he said was repent. So, hey, it's not a new message. It's in the Word of God. That was Jesus' message also. And look after the people had repented of their sins. And then Jesus, 
In fact, before I read this scripture, let me go to Acts 10.38. Let's read Acts 10.38 right quick. I want you to see here where sickness and disease comes from before we get into Matthew 8. But uh, Acts 10.38, look what the Lord says here. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So how many did he heal? All. And these people were oppressed of who? The The devil. So where does sickness and disease come from? The devil. That's right. There was no sickness and disease in the world until the devil moved in. When he came into the Garden of Eden, the devil came in with a twofold curse. He came in, number one, with sin. And then he brought sickness or disease with him. So there was a twofold curse brought into the garden when man fell. Nobody sinned before that. But when the devil became the God of this world, when he starts working on your mind, you will sin. We underestimate the power of the devil to work on our minds. I guarantee we do. He is very good at what he does. He can work on the best minds. He can get the best men or the best women to fall. You have to really be on your toes to be sharp enough to realize every time the devil comes to your house. He's good at what he does. He's so good at what he does. He knows your weakness. And he knows where to attack you and he knows when to attack you. He knows when you let your defense mechanisms down just a little, that's when he's going to attack you. He knows your weakness. So he's very good at what he does. But in Acts 10, 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. Now, for those of you that were raised up in a denominational church that does not believe that there's such a thing as a baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're in trouble if you're going to try to do devil, do work with, against the devil. Because without the power of the Holy Ghost and with that power and that baptismal fire of the Holy Ghost, you might as well stay at home. Because you can't beat the devil on your own. You've got to have the Holy Ghost power to be able to overcome the enemy. So if you've never asked God to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and power, you need to do that. You need And believe it. You need to ask Him to fill you. And once He fills you with that power, and once you ask Him, you need to believe you got it. He's a faith God. Somebody said, well, I didn't feel anything. Hey, let me tell you. Do you know I have never felt anything in anything I've done in the kingdom of God? Some people say, I can feel the power of God here. Well, let me tell you, I don't feel it. I have never felt it. I've heard His voice a lot of times, but I've never felt the power. When I lay hands on somebody and speak in the name of Jesus, somebody says, wow, I felt the power of God all over the church when you touched that man. Well, if you felt it, you felt something I didn't feel. Because even with Johnny Brumfield, back in March, when I laid hands on Johnny's knees sitting right on the front row, and prayed for him and saw a man with two crushed knees get up and start running around the church totally completely healed screaming God is awesome I didn't feel nothing but his legs when I put my hands on them legs like that I felt the same thing I feel on this brother's knee right then britches 
Skin, no, I didn't feel no skin because he had britches on, just like he's got on. So I felt cloth. I put my hands on him and I prayed the prayer of faith. Then I told him to get up and walk if he believed God. And he did. He got up and walked. But somebody says, wow, when you prayed for him, I felt the power of God all over the church. Okay. You felt something I didn't feel. I just stood on the Word. And Jesus showed up. You don't never go by feeling. If you go by feeling, that's where the devil works, in feeling. So when you ask God to fill you with the Holy Ghost and power, you believe He done it. And then every day of your life, when you wake up, you say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost and power. In fact, as you're driving down the road, an hour later, you might say, Lord, refill me with the Holy Ghost and power. You fill your car up? You filled it up one time in your life? No, you fill it up pretty regular, don't you? If you're like me and you drive as far back and forth everywhere we do, it's not uncommon to pull that car in there and fill it up and put 20, 25 gallons of gas in it pretty regular. Yours too, huh? Yeah, so, you know, you see where I'm coming from. So if you've got to fill your car up pretty regular, don't you think you ought to refill your tank with the Holy Ghost? I mean, because you're going to use that power. Now then, he says here, And God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So you're going to have to have that baptismal power if you want to go out and do something and get people healed in the name of Jesus. Then if you want to continue to walk in health, you're going to have to obey God's Word and stay full of the Holy Ghost. You've got to do the preventative maintenance. It takes constantly believing God's Word and walking holy before God to walk in divine health. You can't say I'm a Christian and live in the world and walk in divine health. Cannot do it. In other words, people say, well, how, what do you mean? I say, well, let's put it like this. You can't come to church on Saturday or you can't come to church on Sunday and leave Sunday afternoon and go home and watch some kind of murdering, killing movie on television where all they're doing is murdering and killing. And then Monday morning, your favorite soap opera is on. Oh, I can't wait till 10 o'clock where I can watch my favorite soap opera or 9 o'clock or whatever time they come on. If you're living in the world and feeding the world into your mind and your heart, you cannot walk in divine health. Sooner or later, the devil's going to get you. He's just going to get you. That's all there is to it. There is a requirement to walk in divine health, and that means coming out of the world and walking holy before God. Filling your mind with the Word of God regularly. I had a man here a while back wrote me an email, and then he later called me and he said, I understood you said you can take the Word of God and you can quote scriptures probably at least a hundred. I told him, I said, if I couldn't quote at least a hundred scriptures, I'd be in the Word of God right now. At least a hundred. I said, I could probably quote more, a whole lot more than a hundred. I don't even know how many I know. I've never sat down and really tried to put a number on the scriptures I know. But I do know that I'm in the Word of God all the time. And I'm reading and studying and thinking about it, praying over it. I wake up in the morning. First thing I do is I talk to God. You know, when I go to bed at night, I talk to God. Anything I do, I talk to the Lord. And as you talk to Him, He does great and wonderful things. Now then, if Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power, you need the Holy Ghost and power because in Matthew 8, verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto Him many that were possessed with devils. 
Now, this is something you need to understand. Well, this Bible, the King James, says many were possessed with devils. You need to realize it does not mean what it says. It means something else. It does not mean the word possessed, the word they translated that from, from the Greek, does not mean to you and me the same today as the word possession means to us today in English. Today, if I say, I possess this Bible... Who else has this Bible besides me? Nobody. It's mine. I possess it. It's mine. That's what we tend to think the word possess means. If the devil possesses you, then you could not possibly be a Christian. But what that word means is you're demonized. You're demonized. Now, you can be demonized because... I mean, I've had people tell me. I've had lots of people tell me, Thurman, there's no way I, as a Christian, can have a devil. In fact, the other night I was down uh, in Fort Worth, and there was another tremendous man of God that was speaking down there that night, and there was several hundred people there. And so when it comes time to the end of the service, he, he taught a couple, two or three hours. And when the service was over, he invited people to come down for prayer. Well, I thought, I'll go down there and pray for people myself. So I went down there, and when I walked up down there, here's some woman. She, she said, Thurman Scribner. I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, I've been to one of your healing schools. She said, you still believe everything's a devil? I said, yes, ma'am. Everything that's sickness and disease is a devil. She said, I don't believe that. She said, I cannot have a devil living in my body as a Christian. I said, what are you down here for? She said, i got a bone spur in my foot. It's killing me, and I want him to pray for me. I said, you want to get healed? She said, I want to get healed. I said, you don't believe that's a devil? She said, no, that could no wise be a devil. I said, I'm going to tell you that's a devil. She said, I don't believe that's a devil. I can't have a devil living inside me as a Christian. I said, ma'am, you want to get healed? She said, yes, I want you to pray for me, but I don't believe it's a devil. I reached up and grabbed her by the shoulders and shook her real good about twice and said, devil, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, now then that thing's gone. Stomp your foot. She said, it couldn't be gone that quick and that easy. I said, put your foot down. She put her foot down and she said, I've got a pad in there. She took her shoe off and took the pad out and stomped the floor. And she said, it's gone. I said, I told you, woman, you had a devil. And I just kicked him out of it. She could not believe that that thing could be gone that quick. And she didn't even believe. You think God was not, is not merciful? Yeah, he is a faith God. Whose faith did he use to get that woman healed? It certainly was mine. It wasn't hers, that's for sure. But after she saw it happen, she said, well, that's what you did. You cast a demon out of me. I said, that's what it was. It was a little demon in your foot that put that spur in there. And when I cast him out, that thing went away. Now then, you most definitely can have a demon in your house. Because you are a three-part being. Number one, you, the real you, are a spirit. And that's what's supposed to drive and control you, your spirit man. But unfortunately, most of us in the church, like I was most of my life, the flesh drove me instead of the spirit. Some of y'all know where I'm coming from. I think every one of us know where I'm coming from. Because when the spirit drives you, you yield to the things of the world. You yield to the things of the world instead of the things of God. You know, it's a... It's a whole lot easier to come home 
in the afternoon and get you something to eat and go ahead and plop down in your easy chair and watch some movie than it is to study God's Word. You ever notice how much easier it is to do that? And the devil, he'll, he'll just comfort you, say, oh, you're tired, you've worked hard today, you need your rest. Just sit here and watch this movie. And you yield to that. And you sit there and you feed the trash. I mean, it was, a, you know, yeah, it only took God's name in vain three times during the movie. You know, only use these trash words, you know, probably 50 or 100 times. And you sat there and fed that stuff into your flesh. That's the way, that's where the world lives. That's where we live. You know, I can remember when I was a young man, whenever I first began to get a hold of these things, I think about how I used to go to work. I was a country and western fan. I mean, I knew all then somebody done somebody wrong songs. And I could sing them all. And I'd sing right along with them. I'd go down, turn on my old country western music, and man, I'd sing them songs, and they wasn't doing nothing for me except tearing me down. That's all they were doing. But I didn't know that. They were killing me. They were keeping me sick and afflicted. And then finally one day I heard a pastor say, you know, you ought to at least listen to a little Christian radio. I thought, well, I don't know. I come to church on Sunday, you know, and I, I listen to a preacher preach in a Baptist church 30 minutes. That's about all I can stomach, I think. A 30-minute message in a Baptist church is, if you've got a 45-minute long one in a Baptist church, you had a long-winded preacher. A long-winded preacher. So I started listening to a little Bible study, 15-minute, 30-minute shows. And I began to get intrigued over what I was learning. And so first thing I I looked forward to that little trip to Dallas so I can listen to the Christian radio. And of course, I got hooked on this old guy, J. Vernon McGee, years ago, you know, and, of course, Jay Vernon, he's a good Bible teacher. It's just some of the Word of God he definitely don't believe. In fact, I was going down to take one of my radio shows here a while back when K-Sky was still on the air before they changed their format and took us all off. And I was taking a CD down there on my teaching, and I went in and I handed it to him on the way down there. Jay Vernon was on. And I listened to him that day teaching in Mark chapter 16. Of course, verse 15 and 16, he was very strong about us going into the world and preaching the good news to everybody so everybody can get saved. Then he comes to verse 17. He said, now this one here, he said, where it says, and you have power to cast out devils. He said, that was for the apostles back there. And then he said, it says, and they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. He said, if you want to get a sickness or a disease, you just walk into a hospital and lay hands on somebody and find out you're going to get sick along with them. And I thought, wow. So anyway, I walked into the station, handed my CD to the guy, and I said, here's my CD this week. And he said, you still teaching on healing? I said, oh, yeah. He said, I thought about you a while ago while I was listening to Jay Vernon. I said, I heard him too on the way down here. He said, what do you think about his statement? <laughs> I said, well, it's just obvious. Poor guy, he don't believe the Word of God. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I mean, I don't know how you can mess that up. But I've come to realize that was not just for the apostles. I have laid hands on I don't know how many people in my life. One of them sat right here on the front row. This gal right here, which is now my wife, had had an incurable disease for years. 
and couldn't get healed. Decided she had to live with it. And come up and repented of her sins a few years ago. I touched her in the name of Jesus. She's healed. There's another one sitting back there on the back row. Same thing. She had had an incurable problem in her body for 30 years and she couldn't get healed either. Goes to a doctor or chiropractor two, three, four, five times a week sometimes for years. Hold on, how much money she spent? She come to a healing school. In fact, it was the one in January a year ago. And I touched her in the name of Jesus after repenting of her sin. She was instantly healed. Isn't God wonderful? He's wonderful. I mean, He heals people. Does everybody get healed? No, they don't all get healed. But there sure is a bunch of them get healed. And every one of those that get healed is very grateful to the king. Now then, if you had an incurable disease like Cheryl had for all those years, or Sharon had all those years, and of course, who knows how many others, uh, you know, that had had these incurable diseases, and they come up and they repent of their sins and they believe God, you lay hands on them and just touch them, and they get healed. I don't know, that's pretty hard to mess up, isn't it? Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So, if you want to see God do some wonderful things for people, number one, repent of all your sins. Make sure you're walking in obedience to God's Word. And then, when somebody touches you in the name of Jesus, make sure they're a man or a woman of God that believes the Word. Now then, that's like a a lady that came to her. She, she's from Louisiana. Her mother and dad's from Louisiana. And she's a beautiful young lady. Got a, uh, about an 11-year-old son. And her and her husband, uh, she, she came to one of my healing schools. And she'd had an incurable disease for 18 years. And it's not curable. And she came and we taught her the Word of God. And she heard it and received it. And we laid hands on her. And she started getting well. But there was a portion of it we couldn't get over. Just some of the symptoms remained. And I told her one day, I said, ma'am, you got some kind of a sin left in her somewhere that's preventing the Holy Ghost from completely cleansing and purging you. And I said, you need to ask God what it is. And she said, well, I think I've got every sin confessed. I said, well, you're going to have to find what it is because one in there somewhere. I said, I don't know what you're doing wrong, but there's something. And so she went to the Lord and asked him, what she had done wrong and immediately he revealed to her she had unforgiveness towards someone 20 years ago she hadn't thought about in 20 years which is a young girl high school so she immediately repented forgave those people came back and we prayed over and all of her symptoms went away she was completely healed well that changed her life her husband's life her mother and dad's life so tremendously about the power of God it's hard to fight against results isn't it Hard to fight against results when you see these things happen as many times as we have. So her and her husband came to me and their son had a problem. And he had this problem for virtually all of his life. And they'd had him to doctors, had him everywhere. And she wanted me to pray for her son. Well, her husband come with her that day and I told him, I said, no, I will not. I want you to know as a spiritual leader in your home, since you and your wife are now walking holy before God, you're going to church. You're not talking evil about no one. You're learning how to walk in a love relationship. I said, now you are the priest over your home, and there's nobody in your home has more power over your son than you do as the father. I said, now, what I want you two to do, I want you to go home, 
And I want you to make sure you two are walking totally holy before God with no unconfessed sins. Then I want you, sir, to command that evil spirit to leave your son. I said, that's what it is. It's a devil. And he got in because of sin. So I said, I want you to make sure all your sins are repented of, and I want you to rebuke that devil over your son. And I said, I guarantee the Lord will deliver your son. She came to, I think it was the last healing school in Dallas, and she gave her testimony. She said, my husband did that very thing on a Monday morning after we talked to you on Sunday. And she said, although my son was still asleep, we went in and we prayed, we rebuked the devil, commanded him to get his hands off our son, and asked the Lord to completely heal and restore everything in his flesh. And she said, when he woke up 20 minutes later, he was a completely different young man. And she said, he's been totally different ever since. Now, if men would just know, if, see, if they just believe this book, just like what we're talking about these things, when Jesus said here in Matthew eight sixteen, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils or demons, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now, how many did he heal? All. all. Okay, now what did he do first? He cast out the devils. Now, how many devils are there? There's one. There's one devil, but that word right there that's translated devils in the King James is demons. Demons. How many demons are there? Multitudes of them. That's right. We don't even have any idea how many of these guys they are. But there is multitudes of demons. Many, many, many millions of those things. And they're all different levels. Principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies, Paul says. So there's a well-organized group of demonic spirits out there that is waiting to steal, kill, and destroy the people on this earth. We do not want to give place to these devils. If you don't give... If you don't give place to them because of sin, they can't touch you. When you learn that you walk holy before God, when you learn that it takes walking holy before God, and when you walk holy before Him, you open no doors to the devil. The devil cannot touch you. You will strive to stop sinning. Now, I'm going to show you some verses that will confirm this. Now, whenever... Jesus said he healed all these people that were sick after he cast out the spirits and he cast them out with a word. These people had demons. So Jesus cast out the demons and then healed all the sick. Many times in this Bible you'll find places where Jesus cast out the spirit and instantly the little boy or the little girl or the man or the woman was healed. That's all you got to do is get rid of the devil. Now, if the devil has messed you up inside, it's very appropriate once you've driven the devil out to ask the Father in Jesus' name, according to his word, to send the Holy Ghost to restore and repair everything the devil's messed up. Because when he leaves, if he's messed you up big time, and he's good at what he does, if he's messed you up on the inside big time, and you drive him out, he'll leave your body a battleground, destroyed. And it may never fully recover. Just to give you an example of what I'm talking about here, what can happen. How a demon can come into you 
even in your mother's womb and do something to you that you won't even know it's a demon. I give you an example of my own wife, Cheryl, up here when I met her, when the Lord told me and her to get married a few months ago, and that was unique because neither one of us were looking for a mate, but God showed her in a dream one morning and told me audibly the next morning that I was to marry this woman. And so when I went and asked her if she would marry me, she graciously said yes. We had never even been on a date, never really held each other's hands, but there was a love affair started that morning, uh, that evening. It's kind of awesome. This is not normally the world's way. You don't sit across the table with a cup of tea at a woman you've never had a date with, nothing, and look her in the eye and say, how would you like to marry me? Most of them say, you're crazy. <laughs> but she said, I'd love it. And so the reason she did, because God had told her the day before and told me the next day. So after we, I had asked her to marry me and she had accepted, so now we're engaged. We've never been on a date. We thought it might be a good idea to go on a date. You know, just kind of get to know each other a little bit. So her and her daughter were singing out here at, at a restaurant over here in uh, Flower Mountain one afternoon. And I went over there and had dinner there. And when I got through singing that night, we sat out in, by the building out there in the car and talked, just trying to get to know each other. So we sat out there for several hours. Now it's 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning now. We're still sitting there in our car talking. And so all of a sudden she starts to crank the car. I said, what's wrong? She said, well, my feet are cold. And I said, but it's not cold outside. She said, well, I'm just cold-natured. She said, my feet and legs stay cold. She said, I'm cold even in the summertime. I said, well, how long have you been like that? Well, she said, all my life. I said, you don't have to be like that. Well, she said, what do you mean? I said, Jesus made you and me a promise. And... I, it's obvious that, turn just a few pages to the right, to Matthew 18. And I want you to see this magnificent promise that the Lord made us here in Matthew 18, 19. This lets us know as Christians we either don't know this book or we don't believe these promises. Because in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, here's one of those statements people said, that's too good to be true. Isn't that what he says, J.C.? But here's what Jesus said. Now, see, with the world, if they tell you, just send me $39.95 and we'll send you a product that you can make a million dollars with, that's probably too good to be true. Because that's the world. That's the world. But that's not Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 19, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done to them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, if you're an obedient son or an obedient daughter, and there's two of you, and you can agree upon virtually anything that's according to God's will. Now, he's not going to do something stupid for you. I had a man come up and ask me one time, I want to take that first right there. I want you to pray for me, a new wife. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm tired of the one I have. Now, you don't think that's God's will, do you? Not hardly. I thought, how stupid that this man that's in church would ask me such a stupid thing. I mean, but you know, you'd be amazed. But anyway, that night, Cheryl's feet had been cold all of her life, her, le her lower legs and her feet. And it's just a way of life. She's been like that all of her life. So why not accept it? I've been like this all of my life. What can I do to change it? Well, the average Christian won't ever dream you can change that. 
So I told her, I said, well, just kick your shoes off. And she was dressed basically just like she is right now. She had on a pair of slacks and everything. I said, kick your feet over the console. Because the car, you know, it's got one of them consoles in the middle, seats on both sides. I said, just turn around there in your seat, kick your feet over that, and I'm going to caress the lower parts of your legs and your feet, and I'm going to pray over them, according to Matthew 18, 19, in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> so she did. She throwed her feet over there. I began to caress her legs down from about the knee down and asked the Father in Jesus' name to open all of the arteries, all of the veins, let the blood to flow perfect so her feet and her legs and everything would be beautifully, wonderfully warm like God originally designed them in the beginning. And immediately, her legs began to get warm. And it was almost too good to be true. She couldn't hardly believe what began to happen. Who was in that car with me and her that night? Jesus. Jesus. When you realize the king is there, it'll make you pay attention what you do. It'll make you keep your thought pattern in the right place. It'll make you straighten up everything. Because I knew the king was in that car with me and her that night. And he was listening and watching everything I was saying and doing. And I, I was praying over one of his daughters in faith. And he opened those arteries and veins and her legs. And for a woman that had slept with socks on even in the summertime. What? Double socks. Wow. Double socks and with flannel pajamas on to keep her legs warm. From that night, she's never had that problem again. Her body is warm. Her, her, now, what did Jesus say we could do there in Matthew 18, 19? I mean, it's, that's one of those things that sounds too good to be true. I mean, if your legs are cold, I mean, you either just live with it like that, or maybe if you get older and it gets worse, you just go to the doctor, right? What can we do, Doc? And the doctor examines you, checks you, only charge you a couple hundred bucks for the first little visit, you know, because he only spends a few minutes with you. And then he says, well, we can give you this medication or that medication, but since you're getting older, probably we'll have to go in there and do some surgery on you in the later, and of course, you know, uh, that will only cost you about $20,000, you know, in a few days in the hospital. And a hospital bill will be another twenty or 30000 you know. So you ought to be able to get out for around fifty. But don't worry, your insurance is taking care of it. When your insurance is costing you four, five, six hundred a month. You all know where I'm coming from? That devil's good. That's his kingdom. Who do you think is messing up your body? The devil. Why? So he can get you in them places. Them doctors. Where them doctors can doctor you. Where they can get your money. Now then, is there anything wrong with good Christian doctors? No. Thank God we got a few of them. Because if we didn't have a few good Christian doctors that were doing their best, although some of them are charging you far more money, even the Christian doctors, most of them don't have a problem charging you. In fact, I think about what they do to you. I think about the 30 days we were in ICU with Caitlin. Doctors didn't do a thing, not a surgery, nothing. They said she's going to die from day one. But she was in ICU 30 days. The hospital bill alone was over one quarter million dollars. All they did, she lay in a little tiny bed. They come by several times a day and took her vital signs and looked at her 
and kept those little monitors plugged in her and didn't do a thing. It cost a quarter million dollars. Pretty expensive hotel, wouldn't you say? Quarter million dollars. Think what you could do with a quarter million dollars. That doesn't sound like God to me. But God's the one healed her. Nobody else. But I think about, wow, <clears throat> what the enemy does to us. And here we got promises like this. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Why do you think that Cheryl put up with that problem with her legs all those years? Didn't know. Didn't know. I mean, was she a Christian? Yeah. Did she know anything about the Word of God? Most of her life she didn't. Most of her life, she's like all of us. She's too busy trying to make a living, provide for her two kids. So since she's so busy working two jobs, trying to provide housing and food and clothes and schooling for two little kids that she's growing up, she ain't got time to study the Word of God. She's got to make a living. Does that sound normal to most of us? Especially whenever you don't have a husband that's helping you. When you have a husband, had a husband... And you had two children and he run off and he's not going to help you. And you're out there trying to produce a woman by herself for two children. You got your hands full. Far too many women have to go through that today. And what causes that? The devil. He's the one that breaks up the people. He's the one that does all these things. The devil is behind everything. Now then, all kinds of things could have been changed if she had known the word of God. But she didn't. And so all through life she suffered many things she didn't have to suffer because she didn't know what this book says. But slowly but surely, as she began to get older and the kids get grown and everything, she gets a little more time to spend in God's Word. So she starts going back to church a little bit more and starts reading God's Word a little bit more. And then, as she began to read this book, and begin to learn more. God began to reveal himself to her. And then, after he put me and her together, he'd already trained me. And so, by me praying the prayer of faith over her legs, by being an obedient son. Man, there was no problem getting this girl that was going to be my wife in a few weeks. There was no problem touching her legs, praying over them in the name of Jesus, and seeing the king do a great and mighty work. And from that very day, never again has she had to sleep in socks or flannel pajamas to stay warm. Now, how long was that available to her? Her whole life. Her whole life. Why do we have to suffer what we have to suffer? Because of a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. But see, the enemy's good. The enemy will even take, let's say, for instance, you say, well, your mother and father, why didn't they know this? Well, the same reason that no mother and father knows it, because the devil is doing everything he can to keep every mother and father so busy making a living and preparing for their children, they don't have time to go to church or study God's Word. You know a few people like that? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. When you get a hold of this book and you start reading this book, it will change the way you do business. Because you will realize that if Jesus has 
already done this for you, just like he says there. Let's go from here to 1 Peter 2, and let me show you another thing. Now, this in 1 Peter 2, this really elaborates on what you have to do to walk in this healing. 1 Peter 2. Right after the book of James, 1 Peter 2. And I taught this in a healing school, one verse of this for several years and before I finally got revelation on these verses in front. I used to just read a piece of a verse. I've done that a lot. And I used to read the last line of 1 Peter 2.24. By whose stripes ye were healed. And then one day the Lord says, Son, you need to read the requirements of that. I said, well, Lord, that's what it says. He said, yeah, but I put it at the end of a statement. I said, well, okay. Where do I start? He said at verse 21. I said, okay. So I go back up to verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Okay, if Jesus left an example for me to follow, if I want to walk in divine health, what is the example? Did he walk in divine health? Yeah. Was Jesus ever sick? No. no. Did he ever sin? No. no. Well, let's see what he says here in verse 22. If he, he left you and me an example to follow, then in verse 22 he started giving us the example. Who did how much sin? No sin. So what's your goal? Do you want to walk in divine health? Oh, is it worth that then? Yes. But it means we're going to change a few things, don't we? Not a little sin. I mean, I can't just talk evil about my neighbor just once a month. I can't lie at work just once a six months. I mean, you're kind of dogmatic about this whole thing. You know it? I mean, you believe what this book says. This book says no sin, doesn't it? Wow, is that a tough one to follow? Yes. Is that tough? Guarantee that's tough. Who did no sin? Neither was guile found in his mouth. So you're going to have to learn how to talk. Guarantee you're going to have to learn how to talk. Now, if you haven't listened to those, well, I got three CDs or two tapes over there tape one and two on the tongue, and CDs one, two, and three. On the tongue. If you haven't heard those, if you haven't learned how to talk, you will not be able to walk in divine health till you learn how to talk. Guarantee. You will open the door with your tongue. Your tongue is either your worst enemy in life or your best buddy. It all depends on what comes out of it. And if you say the wrong things, you won't never walk in divine health. And all it takes, let me tell you how important it is what you say. There was a man one time that came down for healing. Now, this wasn't me, but this was another pastor, which I knew him personally. This guy came down to be prayed for. He had a wonderful healing ministry. The guy came down, and he cast the devil out of him and said, command him to be healed in the name of Jesus. And then he made this statement. He said, now, mister, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. And the guy couldn't. He was as solid as a rock. That 
arthritis or what it was that had him, which was a devil, in his neck. And this guy commanded that devil to come out of him again. He said, you devil of hell, you've got to come out of him. In the name of Jesus, you can't stand there. He said, now, mister, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. He did that three times, and that guy could not. Finally, the man realized what he'd done wrong. And he, one more time, laid his hand. He said, you devil of hell. I said, come out of him in the name of Jesus. He said, and now, mister... Bend over and touch your toes. You are delivered. And the guy was just as free as a breeze. One lousy little stinking word that the evangelist used kept that man from getting healed. Is your tongue very important? One little tiny word. If. When Jesus said, you must believe my word with how much doubt? How much doubt? I mean... Surely he didn't mean that. No doubt. Zero doubt. So if you doubt that he's going to do what he said he's going to do, you ain't going to get it, are you? See, we don't realize the importance of words. You've got to believe the words of God with no doubt in your heart. Now, the enemy, he will attack you every way in the world. Every way. I mean, you walk into somebody and pray over somebody, and I don't care what's wrong with them. They might, who knows, they might have cancer, they might have anything. You might take the Word of God, you might rebuke the devil, pray over them, and say, now I guarantee you're healed in the name of Jesus. That's just like, in fact, with that little Philip that lived right up here in Justin in 1995. He was 11 then, now he's 20. But at that time, that little boy's body, since he was three, had been covered with warts. I had them all over him, all over his eyes. I mean, I, I never remember, never forget this little guy. When he closed his eyes, across right there, had a full row of warts across his eyelid. Just little bitty warts. A full row of them all the way across. Had them in his eyebrows. Had them all over his face. All, up in his nose. I mean, warts in his nose. I mean, had them all over his face, under his chin, all over his hands, under his fingernails. I mean, poor little kid. And he said, I hate it, Mr. Scrivener, because all the kids at school call me warty. Sure, I know how kids are. They're almost as cruel as adults. How do you think they get to be a cruel adult? You practice real heavily while you're a child. Then you get to be a cruel adult. Because you never learn God's Word. Now then, does God say you're supposed to talk evil about somebody like that when they got warts? No. What did He tell you to do for them? Pray for him, of course. He didn't tell you to go over and say, Hey, look at that warrant kid. Look at that stupid kid there. Look, you, that kid got all them warrants all over you. Why do people do that? Because they don't have a clue what the book says. Yep, yep. So anyway, he hated it. And I told him, I said, I understand. But I said, son, God's a faith God. I said, he's not a need God. Need does not move the hand of God. Only faith in his word. So I said, You've got to repent of all your sins. We're going to pray the prayer of faith for you. So a couple hours later, whatever it was, I built her faith all Sunday afternoon, and I made sure their sins were all confessed. And then I knelt there on the floor and prayed the prayer of faith wrapped around Matthew 18, 19. And then I got up, and his mother said, When are they going to come off? I said, That's the only thing God don't tell me is when. He said, They will come off. He said, If two of us on earth agreed about what? Anything, he would do it. I said, now then, but you must believe with no doubt in your heart. I said, now I'm going to guarantee you something else. When I leave here, 
There's going to be an enemy coming here. It's going to be one of Satan's demons. And he's going to put this thought in your mind. Now, you don't really think, just because that old gray-headed man come over here and prayed that prayer of faith, that those warts are going to come off Philip. Remember, he's had those warts for eight years. Remember, you took him to the doctor. And remember, they burned two big rows off the back of his right hand. And not only did the scars come back, come in, but the warts came back in the scars. So you don't think, just because that crazy guy come over here and pray the prayer of faith over you that those warts is going to come off. And guess what? You're going to have to either reject that or accept that. When that thought comes to your mind and he is good, the average person will say, well, what if they don't come off? What did you just do? You doubt it. You stop the power of God right there. Oh, I hope they come off, Mama. You stop the power of God when you said, I hope. There is no faith in hope. You've got to believe what the Word of God says. I said, now, ma'am, I'm going to guarantee you on the Word of the living God, this war's going to come off. If you stay in faith with me, if your profession lines up with the Word of God, Jesus cannot lie to us, and those warts and scars will come off of that boy. Did Jesus say, if I agreed with somebody that he would do it. And there was four of them in that house that day. That man, that woman, that boy, and his little sister, and me. That's five. And we were on earth. So we met the criteria. But now we got to believe, right? Got to believe. with no doubt in our heart. Well, that devil, he'll hit you. I mean, I mean that devil's good at what he does. Because you walk out that door, I walk out that door, I mean, he'll hit your mind. I mean, you look at that little boy, ain't nothing changed. I mean, he still got the warts. He still got the scars. Did not one single thing change in his body. The devil said, oh, if he's so good, why didn't he fall off on the floor? I don't understand God and why he does what he does. All I know is what his word says. So when I left there, Mama, I told her, I said, don't you doubt now. Don't you doubt God's word. I said, if that devil puts that thought in your mind, if he does anything, I said, don't, before you entertain that thought, you go over and open your Bible, and he said, Devil, I want you to see what it says right here. Matthew 18, 19. Jesus said, I said, you stand on the Word of God. Well, the next morning when Mother goes there and checks him and all the warts that were on the ends of his fingers and up under his fingernails were completely gone, she is seeing a tangible result of an answer to prayer. Now, that lights a Baptist mother's fire. You know, when you begin to see your answer coming, you know God showed up. It's just like Cheryl that night. I mean, I prayed over her legs and her legs got warm right then. How long does it take God? I mean, her legs begin to get warm in my hands. How long does it take God to do things if you pray in faith? Oh, man, He can do it just like that. But does He do it just like that every time? No. What if her legs had been ice cold when I got through praying over her? We just said, well... We prayed, and nothing happened. And guess what? She'd have still had ice-cold feet. But if we'd have prayed and said, it's done, I guarantee it's done. What if it didn't happen for a week? What if she went home every night and got in bed? She said, whoa, I know Thurman prayed over my feet, but my feet are still cold, and I still got to have them double socks on and eat flannel pajamas to stay warm. In fact, I got to turn the heat up a couple more degrees. I think it's worse now that he prayed over it was before. But she said, I believe it's done. It's got to happen because it's written in God's Word. I don't go by what I see. 
I don't go by what I feel. I don't go by what I hear. But the Word says, so my feet's got to line up and they got to get warm. And what if one night, a week later, she goes to bed, she says, Lord, I want to thank you that my legs are warm and they're cold as ice. Got to have three socks on them tonight. They're so cold. But Lord, I want to thank you that my feet are completely healed. I have no doubt, Lord, you made me the promise. It's done. I want to thank you that my feet are warm and toasty in the name of Jesus. And in the middle of that night, a week later, she wakes up and she's on fire. Can't, whoa, well, I mean, it's too hot in this bed. Let me take these socks off. Whoa, got to get up and take them flannel pajamas off. I am too, I am burning up. My blood is flowing. I'm, whoa, I don't need these things no more. Gets under the cover, pulls that cover up, got a big thick comforter and a little while she said, I don't even need this. All I need is a sheet on me. Whoa, I'm so warm. Now, what if it had taken a week for that to happen? What if it had taken two weeks for it to happen? What are you going to do in the meantime? Are you going to thank Him and praise Him for His promises and believe it's done and believe you're warm? If you do, you're going to get your answer. See, He says in Hebrews 10:35, you have... In fact, let's read that. Let's go... We'll hold your place there in 1 Peter. We're going to come back there. We'll go to Hebrews 10... 35 and 36, I want you to see what this says. Hebrews 10:35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which is great recompense of reward. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Your confidence in what? The Word. Which has great recompense of reward. Verse 36, for you have need of patience. Now, that's something we do extremely well. I can see you smiling there. you just like me. You want patience, but you want it right now, right? That's what's wrong with us. We're all, that's where we live. For we have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Don't throw away your confidence in the Word. Now then, let's say that the devil is holding out. He's doing everything he can to hold out on you. And a week comes, two weeks comes, three weeks comes, and you don't see any change in your condition. What are you going to do? You're going to throw away your confidence in the Word? You're going to start saying, Hey, I went down there and that faith preacher prayed for me and nothing happened. Well, let me tell you, it ain't going to happen now. You've just canceled God's Word. You have to believe His promises. The very first man that I prayed for in 1986 that got healed of stage 4 lymphoma, terminal cancer, it took six months for him to get well. Just a few months ago, I had a woman right here by the name of Emily Dodson. She taught in the healing school, half of the healing school that day. Some of you might have been here and heard her. But Miss Emily Dodson, when she was 53 years old, had had 13 surgeries in her life. And now then she's come down with lupus and she goes to a doctor again. She is a normal Southern Baptist woman. She goes to the doctor because she never had any teaching on healing. And the doctor checks her and says, Miss Emily, 
we can do surgery one more time, and it might increase your lifespan about six more months. But said, this is terminal, and you're going to die. She said, well, then I've been stuck and cut so many times. I'm not going to have surgery again. It only increased my life six months. I'm not going through all that pain again. I'm just going to go home and die. And then somebody come along and showed her these promises. And she started standing on these promises with no doubt in her heart. You know how long it took her to get well? One year. But she realized that these promises were hers. And she said, I would get so mad at the devil, he would put such pain and suffering upon me, and I wanted to die. I felt so bad. But she said, I'd get up out of bed and I'd stomp my feet and say, devil, if Jesus healed me, you're not going to take me out. She said, I'm going to get well. I am well. And somebody would come by and say, Miss Emily, how do you feel today? She said, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. They'd look at her and say, you don't look healed. You look awful. She said, I don't care what I look like. I don't go by what I look like or feel like. I am healed because it's written in God's Word. It took her a year of stomping her feet and kicking that devil out of her. And after one year of lupus, that woman's healed. And when she was here a few months ago, she's 75 years old and not been sick since she's 54. She got a hold of who she was. And then she made a statement. She said, any Christian that dies in sickness and disease has died in deception. They didn't believe the truth. She said, I was there 54 years of my life. And I had 13 surgeries. And then I had terminal lupus. And then I got a hold of the truth. And she said, when I got a hold of the truth, she said, I had to stomp my feet and get mad and take away from the devil by force with it is written. But I finally got through, kicked him out in a year and she said, now then, my life. She said, in fact, this is something. She had been married for many years. A beautiful little lady. Had a wonderful husband. And when she come down with lupus and got so bad, you know what he did? He left her because he said, I don't want to see you die. What a man. What a man. Wow. Left his wife with terminal cancer because he didn't want to watch her die. Is that pretty awesome? If there was ever a time she needed a helper, it was during that time. And he left. I thought, wow. But anyway, <clears throat> she fought the fight of faith and she won it. And now she's learned that all sickness and disease comes from the devil. And she don't let the devil come back on her. When the devil comes upon you and tries to put sickness and disease upon you, don't receive it. Make sure you got your sins repented of and then get rough with him. Kick him out in the name of Jesus. Look what the rest of this 1 Peter 2 says. After he says, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Verse 23 says, Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Is that going to be hard to do? Yeah, it ain't going to be easy. How easy is it to take offense? Way too easy. <laughs> For all of us, right? All of us easily can take offense. Don't do it. It'll make you sick. It'll make you sick. That devil will come in and he will take you out with something. He might not take you out, but he'll make you sick and afflict you. Then it says, listen to verse 24 extremely close. 
who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins, how does, Jesus, how does the Father see us today? Dead to sins. If we being dead to sins, <laughs> then what does the next line say we should do? Should live unto righteousness. Should. Because how many Christians do you know that were like I was most of my life? I didn't live unto righteousness. I mean, I lived a pretty clean life, but I didn't live totally righteous. I knew I did some things wrong. You know, probably far more than I even realized. But I should have been struggling to live totally righteous and holy before God. And I did do that pretty close. You know, I didn't really get out there like some people do. Thank goodness I didn't. But I, I did know a little bit about the Word of God. And I knew the Word of God says I wasn't supposed to steal. And I didn't. I knew the Word of God says I'm not supposed to lie. So I didn't. You know, I mean, sure there might have been times I said something that was perceived as a lie or was misunderstood. And it might have said, hey, Thurman, you lied. Well, I didn't intentionally lie to you over something. I could, in fact, I remember one time a VP. I was working for a VP, and we had a health inspection down in Houston, Texas, and I happened to be over that facility. That was one of the ones. And the FDA got us on a bunch of door gaskets on some reach-in refrigerators. And so we had to replace those, so I contacted my mechanic down and told him, I said, you get those new door seals in, you get those put on, get those things clean, perfectly spotless on that stainless steel, and put them new gaskets on there. And I said, we've got to have that done in the next, like, three weeks. They gave us three weeks to get it done, whatever it was, two or three weeks. I ordered them, made sure they were sitting down there where he'd have them. And then a few days later, I called him, or a few days later, up before the deadline. We had, like, one day left, and I called him. I said, did you get all those door gaskets on those refrigerators? He said, I got them on there. Now, see... He knew he didn't have them all on there. He had part of them on there. He planned to put the rest of them on that afternoon. So he was covering himself. He knew the next day we were supposed to be inspected. So he told me he had them all on there. But that afternoon something else happened. And he didn't get them on. So the VP called me that afternoon and said, Is all them door gaskets on them coolers down there in Houston? I said, I called the guy this morning. They're all done, sir. He said, Okay, no problem. Next day FDA shows up. And my VP gets a call. He said, you guys are now on probation because you lied to me and you didn't get those gaskets on when I told you to get them done. My VP called me. He said, Thurman, what do you mean lying to me? I said, sir, I didn't lie to you. He said, well, you didn't tell me the truth. I said, what do you mean? He said, you, I called you yesterday and asked you if them door gaskets was on. I said, well, sir, I called the guy this morning and he said they were. So I assumed that they were done. He said, you know what that word did to you and me both? I said, obviously, yes. He said, they were not on. He said, if you have a man that you're working for that you can't trust, something as important as this is, he said, next time if you can't trust them, you either call somebody else there in management, have them check them, or if necessary, you get on an airplane, fly to Houston, check them yourself. And because that I can't have those kind of mistakes. I said, I understand. Are we supposed 
to lie to people? Are we so, even supposed to lie with intentions that we're not? It's not going to be a lie. You know what he should have told me? Told me I got half of them on, and I plan to put the other half on this afternoon, so we should be okay by in the morning. Then I could have told the VP that. And then when the guy called, he said, "Well, we had them half of them on today, and they plan to put the rest of them on this afternoon." And then the guy got tied up. So the next morning, the FDA guy comes in and he says, "Hey, yes, half of them are on, just like you told me." But why aren't the other half on? So then we could have contacted the guy and found out they had several other problems, and the guy could have said, okay, I know you said half one's on yesterday morning. You plan to get the other half on. I'll give you two or three more days to get the other half done, and then we're all okay. So see, that's what that's what should have been done, right? But sometimes we don't want to tell it like it is. We want to kind of stretch the truth a little bit, planning we're going to get something done, and then when... It's obvious that we as Christians, sure, if we want to tell a little lie to cover ourselves, well, then you can be assured the devil will step in and make something else happen this afternoon where you're not going to get done what you said you were going to do. He'll do that to you. Do you really think he would really do that to you? Yes, he will. And then, through that lie, he gets legal right to you. And that causes all kinds of problems with you and the company. So, you integrity. But you have to do this. Now, the Lord says, if we should, if Jesus bore our own sins on the tree, now you've got to see yourself as dead to sin. If you are dead to sin, then what are you to do with sin? When sin comes and tempts you and tests you to sin, what are you to do to sin? You're not to sin. Is that going to be difficult? What if you're a young person today, and the young people today, if they watch television, which most of them do, you will hear so much profanity. In fact, I had a lady come to me the other day, ask me to pray for her four-year-old child. And that four-year-old child had as good a vocabulary in wicked words as any sailor I ever met. Four years old. I couldn't believe the words that was coming out of the mouth of that four-year-old. Where do you think they learned those? Watching television at home. Do you think that they use these foul words on television? Oh, yeah. They really use them. They're there. You can't, once in a while, I've got to where in the last few weeks since the tsunami, the big wave that tore up everything, I started watching a little news. And flipping between channels of the news channels, I've just started a second or minute at a time stopping on some channel and just observing what's going on. And I thought, wow, if the world is watching that, if the church is watching that, those things, I can only imagine what's in our hearts. So you take, in fact, I'll just tell you this week, I don't even know what the show was. But some mother, I flipped between news channels, and when I flipped on this channel, it was a mother sitting there explaining some things to her son. He looked like he was about, had a musical instrument laying there on the table, a horn of some kind. 
And he was about, I would say, 12. And she was trying to explain something to him, nice and quiet and gentle. I thought, wow, you know, that mother is trying to explain some things to her son. Sounds great. I thought, I'll listen to a few seconds, see what this is. And she was explaining to him some things, how he could be deceived and so forth. And he's sitting there listening. And all of a sudden, a little girl, about 12, walks in with her horn. And the mother looked and he said, oh, by the way, Mom, we're going in my bedroom to practice. And said, if we stop the music, don't come in. I said, click. A 12-year-old? Going to take a little 12-year-old girl in his bedroom and they're going to practice music? But if the music stops, Mom, by the way, don't come in. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to read between those lines. If you do, you got a problem. You know exactly what the intention of that program was. To teach 12-year-olds that sexual activity is okay. You know that? 12-year-olds. Couldn't have been over 12. Do we live in a sad world? Sad state of affairs. So when kids grow up living like that, just like a lady friend of mine out here a few years ago in Louisville, a lady in church asked her one day, her daughter got to be about 16, said, you going to put your daughter on the pill or have her fitted to a diaphragm? She said, what? said, she's not married. Oh, she said, I know, but you know she's going to be sexually active. She said, no, she's not. A Christian mother made that kind of statement to another Christian mother with her daughter when she got to be 16. You wonder why we got all the problems we got? You wonder why Dr. Dodson says that, I forgot, I think he said one out of four teenagers has some kind of venereal disease. You wonder why? I don't wonder why. I know why. I know how they catch them. Through sin. You want to know why we need a healer? We need a healer because we're, we're taught very well how to sin. And so that's why we got to have a healer. If we weren't taught how to sin, we wouldn't need a healer. <coughs> the Word of God says that after you went astray, you were afflicted. But after that, you acted on God's Word. When you learn that sickness and disease comes upon you because of sin, you'll stop sinning. You can do that. He's given you the power to stop it. Is He merciful? Yes. Just like Cheryl, with her feet, her legs, all of her life, She'd had that problem. After repenting of sin and praying the prayer of faith for her, God was merciful and healed those legs. All of the problems of the people. I've seen people healed of everything known to man. If you repent of your sins, does it take a gracious God, if you become a son of His or a daughter of His, and then you go back out in the world and you become the prodigal? 
And I mean, you lived like the prodigal son. You spent all of your money. I mean, you lived with the prostitutes like he did. And you lived with the, all kinds of friends. And you spent all your money on riotous living. Now you're broken living in the pig pen. And all of a sudden you get smart and you look up and say, Lord, forgive me. I need to come home. Boy, it takes a pretty awesome God to bring you back, doesn't it? But he'll do it, won't he? Clean you up just like he did that boy. Clean him up, wash him up, put a ring on his hand, a robe on him, sandals on his feet. You talk about a gracious God. Then he said, when you come back in, all you've been out there living in the pig pen, you've got all these sickness, all these disease, if you'll just repent and come home and stay under my roof, he said, I'll heal you. You talk about a mighty God. I won't tell you. He's a whole lot more forgiving than me. I'm glad we're his kids. You know, I try to be forgiving. But wow. There's some things that be a little difficult for me to forgive. You know it? You know, I mean, I, I try to walk in total, unfor, uh, total forgiveness on everything and no unforgiveness. But there is some things in this world that, well, just like this woman the other day. I told her when her husband had committed adultery on her about 30 times in his life. And when she told him, it destroyed her. <clears throat> Cheryl and I met with him a few times. And she said, I'll never forgive him. I said, ma'am, you have to forgive him or you can't go to heaven. She said, what do you mean? I said, if you don't forgive him, it's going to open the door. The devil's going to come to you. He's going to destroy you, kill you. And then you get to go to hell when you die instead of going to heaven. I said, and it will keep you sick and afflicted all the rest of your life on this earth. She said, but I don't like what he did. I said, well, I can understand that. He didn't say you had to like what he did. But it says you have to forgive him. She said, what do I have to do? I said, well, you're going to have to forgive him. And I said, then he's going to have to build his trust back in you. And, of course, later he talked to me and said, how long do you think it might be before I could build my trust back in my wife? I said, you know, that's a good question. You committed adultery on her 30 times in your life and your 25 years of marriage. I said, she adored you. She trusted you. She loved you. She gave herself to you in everything and every way. And then she found that you had broken that trust and been unfaithful to her 30 times. I said, you may never live long enough to build that trust back. But I said, if she's really a gracious woman and you really treat her like a lady and you'll not let these things bother you, you won't bring these things back up, I said, in one to five years, you might build her trust in you back up where you and her can live as normal human beings. But I said, those thoughts will always be in the back of her mind. And if you say the wrong thing, she's going to tear into you like a lion. You think God, when he says one man, one woman, no adultery, you think he knew what he was talking about? Yeah. One man, one woman, forever. Because you can't forget it. You name me a woman that's had a husband that committed adultery on him, on her one time, and she found out about it. That will always be in the back of her mind as a weapon to use against her husband. If she stays with him. You know where I'm coming from? You want your husband to be faithful to you, don't you? You definitely don't want him to be out running around. But what it'll do, it'll open the door to sickness and disease too. 
And many, many people today are sick with all kinds of diseases because they've been sexually promiscuous. God says, how much sex before marriage? None. What is it you don't understand about no sex before marriage? After marriage, who blesses a marriage bed? God does. Does he expect a man and a woman to enjoy their sexuality once they get married? Yes. He's the one made it. But he doesn't plan for you to do it outside of marriage. If you do, it'll open the door to a devil. It'll open the door to a demon. That demon will come into you. He will torment you. He will come into your womb. He'll come into that man. And then whenever that person has children later down the life, the child may very well come out with a demon already in them. Who knows how that demon is going to manifest in any number of ways. But I guarantee it will cause problems with your flesh, with your soul. He'll blind your mind to the gospel because he's in there. And he got in there because of legal right. If you want to walk in divine health, you're going to have to follow the rules of God. You're going to have to. If you don't do these things, then you're going to have sickness and disease. It's just amazing. Let me show you something here. And what we're right there in First Peter two, step on over just in First Peter three. There's so much good stuff in First Peter three. I want you to see. I want you to see how the women are supposed to treat their husbands. In 1 Peter 3, 5, it said, After this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, I've had some women today that were Christian women. I say, you know, you need to be submissive to your husband, even calling him Lord. I had one woman one time tell me, if you think I'm going to call my husband Lord, you've got another thing coming. Christian woman. Whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them or your wives according to knowledge. And men, if you haven't learned, that, learned what makes a woman tick yet, you need to go to school. Deal with them according to knowledge. Let me share with you something that will help you walk in divine health as far as opening the door to the devil with your wife. When your time comes for your wife to have a birthday, don't forget it. Get her a card. Tell her you love her that morning or, or that evening or something. But be nice to her. Dwell with them according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Now what if you're at, what if you're at odds with your wife? What if you can't get along with your wife? 
You're not on speaking terms with your wife. Should you pray about things while you're in that condition? No, it ain't going to do no good until you repent. Until you repent. When you repent, then God will begin to answer your prayer again. So if you're not living or walking in love with your wife, you're not going to get your prayers answered as much as you would have said your prayers will be hindered. And he said, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil. I mean, but you don't understand, Lord. Somebody did something really, really, really bad to me. I got to get even with them. What did he say do? Do not return evil for evil. Do not return evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise a blessing. You mean if somebody does something sure enough bad to me, I've got to bless them? Oh, yeah, I'm going to bless them all right. You see where I'm coming from? Don't do that because look what happens. A blessing knowing that you are there unto call that you should inherit a blessing. So if you speak a blessing over them, whatever goes out from you, what's coming back to you? A blessing. Now if you start speaking curses over them, what's coming back to you? Curses. When you learn that, you'll learn how to talk, right? It'll make a change because when you curse that person, if you thought what you said is coming back to you, you wouldn't do it. That's like, let me tell you a story about a Baptist preacher that I know. This guy was pretty good to his wife and children. He wasn't perfect, but he was pretty good. But his wife absolutely <coughs> didn't like hardly anything this guy did. Now, I realize he did some things that I didn't like too, but he was a pretty good, pretty decent man. One day after they'd had their family, and the kids were up, I think they had four. <coughs> I believe it was four, three or four. And they were pretty well grown. I think the youngest one was well in the 20s. She finally got all she could stomach. And she came to him one day and she said, I want to tell you, I hate your guts. I hate you. And she said, I am leaving you. And I hope you find another woman. And I hope she beats up on you every day of your life. That's a dangerous thing to say. And she left him and divorced him. And as she's leaving, he said, well, Honey, I don't know what, I don't really don't know what I've done wrong. But he said, Since you can't live with me, I hope you find a wonderful man that will bless everything you do. And I hope you can be blessed. And I speak that upon you. Guess what happened? She met a man. He turned out to be a drunk. And she married him. And he beat the thunder out of her on a regular basis. What did she say she hoped he got? What did she get? Came back on her. You know what he got? He met a woman. That was the most awesome woman he said I ever met in my life. He married her and she was the most wonderful woman. He said I didn't know there was women this good in the world. And both of them got what they said, didn't they? Isn't that amazing? God's Word really works, doesn't it? Be careful what you say. The power of the tongue. It is your best friend or your worst enemy, your tongue. You've got to remember that. 
Verse 10. Look at after we've read all these things down through the verse 10. It says, For he that will love life and see good days. Do you want to live there? That's where I want to live. For he or she that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile or deceit. Is that going to be difficult for you to do? More than likely. It takes some effort learning to control your tongue. Now, do you want to walk in divine health and free of sickness and disease? You're going to have to learn how to talk. You're going to have to learn how to talk. You've got to learn to talk God's Word. Now then, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, driving down the road all by yourself, and ain't nobody in the car but you, is it now free for you to talk evil about someone? Are you ever by yourself? Who is always with you? God and, and the devil or one of his demons. You're never without an audience. You may not be able to see them, but they're there. They're there. So when you go to sin, always remember. In fact, I love to tell this story. After I spoke down at Gateway Church here last year, year before, yeah, I guess it's just last year. When I spoke at Gateway Church, I'm talking about the power of the tongue and how these things work. And how you can hear God's voice. And I asked the question there that day, how many have heard God's voice? And about two-thirds of that group of pastors and, and uh, deacons and elders, whatever they were, Sunday school teachers, had heard God's voice audibly. And so I thought, this is great. So after the intermission come, we stopped at lunch. And one of the pastors came up and he said, I'm going to tell you what happened to me. <clears throat> he said, my wife got in a little problem. So we'd been married a few years. He said, we got in a little problem and we were not speaking. Now, how many people does this happen to? There's not hardly any that hadn't had disagreements with your mate. But he said, I wasn't talking to her. She wasn't talking to me. So he said, you know, and of course, who had they let in? The devil. The devil's the one that caused these problems in our lives. He's very good. So he said, I was downtown one day, and I walked in a store, and I heard somebody holler my name. I turned to look and said it was an old high school sweetheart. He used to date her a little. And said she come running over. She was bubbly and grabbed him and hugged him. Just squeezed herself into him. Now that's the first thing she'd done wrong. She shouldn't have squeezed herself into him and hugged him. No woman should ever do that to a man. They should not do that. But she did. And of course, immediately by squeezing herself into him, his fire was lit right there. So he invited her to dinner. And so they go out to dinner. Here's a married man with a wife at home. But he's out of sorts with her. So they go to dinner, and before the evening's over, they're over her apartment. Now, how many of you know that's not the place to be either? If you're a married man, you don't never wind up in an apartment with a woman. That's not your wife. And then he said... Before the evening was over, we were in the bedroom. And he said, I was fixing to do something I knew was wrong. He hadn't got there yet, but he was close. He said, all of a sudden, I hear this audible voice. Now, this is a fictitious name, 
But the word says, Jack, do you know what you're doing? Do what you're fixing to do is wrong? He said, I stopped on the edge of that bed. I turned around and looked. He walked in there. He said, there wasn't nobody in there. But he said, I knew who spoke to me. You know, it's unfortunate. There's a lot of times God ought to speak to us like that. When the enemy, you could, the enemy was sitting right there just saying, come on, come on, come on. He wasn't saying, don't you remember? You're married. You ought to be home with your wife, not here in bed with another woman. The devil's sitting there, come on, come on. But the Lord was there too. And just before he was going to do what he knew he shouldn't have been going to do, the Lord spoke to him and said, Jack, do you know what you're doing is wrong? He said, man, I got up, got out of that place. And he said, I never went back. I, I repented to the Lord. I went home, repented to my wife. And he said, it's totally changed my life ever since. You know, that guy was lucky. That guy was lucky. He was very lucky that God spoke to him that day because if he hadn't spoke to him, he would have opened the door to a devil wide open. And who knows in what kind of sickness and disease that devil could have brought upon him, on his wife. Who knows what could have happened. How many people yield to those kind of things in life? Far too many. Far too many. We don't realize what we're doing. But we're never alone. If you're just one man or one woman and you're out in the middle of the desert and you can see a hundred miles in every direction, you're not alone. God is there and a devil is there. They know what you're doing. They know what you're saying. They know everything. So always remember that. You're never alone. So the Lord says, Therefore, he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no deceit. This is part of the maintenance package that you have to know to walk in divine health. You have to learn how to talk. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Now, if you want to walk in divine health, these are things you've got to do. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous... And his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. What if you're a child of God and you're doing evil? Can you be a child of God and do evil? Sure you can. You know you can't. There's not a single person in here, not one of us, that since we've become a born-again Christian, we haven't sinned or done some kind of evil. Every one of us. And when we do evil, the Lord is against us. So what do you need to do? Repent. Repent. And ask the Lord to forgive you and then start walking holy before Him. Look at what verse 13 says. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? In other words, you might read it like this. And where is the demon that will be able to harm you if you follow good and do not sin? What did he say a while ago? A curse, can a curse come upon you if you don't sin? A curse causes shall not come to light. In other words, the demons, let's go, let's go a little bit further to 1 John 5. 
Let me show you what 1 John 5 says. Let's start with verse 14 and let's see what we can do if we're walking holy before God. 1 John 5, 14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we declared or desired of Him. Now, the, the night that I was sitting out in the car with Cheryl and I prayed over her legs, I knew it was God's will for her legs to be, the arteries to be open and the blood to flow. God wants us to have divine health. So by walking in obedience to His Word and praying the prayer of faith over her, I knew that He heard me and I knew that I had my petition and I told her I guaranteed her legs would start flowing, the blood would start flowing and everything would work fine. But I didn't know He was going to do it instantly. That was even a shock to me. You know, you can imagine that, right? These cold feet in my hand and all of a sudden they're warm. I thought, wow, Lord, this is so awesome. You're so awesome. And she even tells now that, we, of course, we got married shortly thereafter, and she kids me now. She tells me, said, you know, look at this. Goes back last year, a year ago, look at this. Our heating bill is much lower <laughs> than it used to be when I had to sleep in double socks and flannel jobs because I turned the heat up so high, the electric heat. She said, look, God has even saved us money on our utility bill. Isn't that wonderful? Is, the, is He a wonderful God? He is more than wonderful. <coughs> There's so many things that if we walk in obedience to His Word, that He hears us and then answers us. It's like we don't realize that He's right here. It's like we don't realize, you know, Jesus is walking around in here right now. I mean, He's here. He says, if two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in your midst. The King of the universe is walking around in this room with us right now. Wouldn't it be wonderful if He would just manifest so we could see Him for a second? No, no, not just a second, Lord. For a couple of minutes, I'd love to just look at you, Lord. <laughs> not a second or two. I'd love to go over and put my arms around Him and hug Him, wouldn't you? it is <clears throat> I think about every, not every time do I think about this but I do real often far more than Cheryl realizes where is Christ today he's in her he's in you so when I walk up to her and put my arms around her and hug her who am I hugging Christ Christ in you the hope of glory and that's why I can hold her and love her and just sit there and hug her and just love her. A lot of times she doesn't even know what I'm doing. But I realize that Christ in her, the hope of glory, I'm just hugging my Lord. Because He's in her. When you get a hold of that, you can hug your mate, you know, and you can love them. I like to hold her close. Because I'm holding Jesus. Then he says in verse 16, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, 
He shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. Wow, there is a sin unto death? If there is a sin unto death, what should that make you want to do? Not sin. <clears throat> the other day, I was looking at a, well, it's been several months ago. Tim and I walked up to a gravesite down here in Justin. And I looked over, and there's a little girl's grave right there that I knew. I said, Son, you see that little girl's grave? He said, Yeah. I said, That's so and so. Oh, he said, Yeah, I knew her. When that little girl was 16 years old, she used to come to Justin Baptist Church with her mother and dad. Said she was a Christian. But when she was 16, she was led astray by the enemy and she moved in with a young man that was not a professing Christian. Moved in with him. They were going to live together. Her daddy tried to talk to her. She wouldn't listen to him. So he asked me to go talk to her. So I went and talked to her. And I told her, you know, you can't do that. I said, are you really a daughter of the king? Well, she said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, well, honey, you can't do this because this is sinning against God. And he says in his word, if you sin against him in sexual immorality, he will destroy your temple. That means he'll kill your flesh. It'll die prematurely. He said, this is my body. I'll do with it what I want to. Now, wait a minute. If you're a born-again Christian, who's your body belong to? Jesus. It don't belong to you no more. It ain't yours. It's his. You gave it to him free when you made that decision. And she would not move. She stayed there. She had a baby. Had another baby. Then her daddy asked me to go again. I went a second time. Told her again. Same thing. She was not going to quit. She's going to live with this boy. I said, the least y'all could do is get married. She said, no, we don't want to get married. Okay, you're sinning. I said, I don't know how long God's going to let you go. But I said, you know, I've warned you from the Word of God. Well, she had a third baby. The third baby was a month old. And her and that boy and that baby all went to bed together one night in the bed together. The next morning, the boy woke up and the baby woke up, but she was dead. Laying there in the bed, stone dead. Done an autopsy on her body. Heart failure. 21. Heart failure. I looked over there at that grave. There she lay. Died in sin. How would you like to come home to heaven as an adulteress? I don't know. Scary when God says... To them that do these things, or they say they're my children, he said, If you don't obey me and do what I say, he said, You don't know me, and I never knew you. Scary. Wonder where that little girl's at today. I don't know. But I ain't going to put him to the test. It's bad enough to have to encounter sickness and disease down here on earth, but to die and miss God, to miss heaven, would be a little more. All I got to say is, if she missed heaven, I hope she didn't. But if she did, five years of sexual immorality was a terrible price to pray for eternity. But if she did get to go to heaven, you know how many rewards she'll have? None. None. 
And that's sad too. But thank God we do serve a gracious and mighty God. <clears throat> if somebody has committed a sin unto death, and some people do, what does he say we're supposed to do about that? Nothing. You can't pray for that. He won't forgive that. Now what is the sin unto death? Different things. What does verse 17 say? All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin that's not unto death. Aren't we glad? Because if all sin led immediately to death, guess how many of us would be alive today? None of us. So we're grateful. And look at verse 18. This is one that when I read this, this just knocked me back. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. I thought, Lord, am I really your child? But when I really checked that out in the Greek, I found that it means we don't practice sinning. You can still sin as a Christian. You're not supposed to. When you do sin, what do you need to do immediately when you miss it? Repent. Repent. That's absolutely right. Repent. Don't continue to live in sin. Because if you do, it can open a door to the devil and he can come in and he can kill you because of your sin. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one, which is the devil, toucheth him not. That's a great promise, isn't it? So if you and I don't walk in sin, we walk in obedience to the Word, do we have to fear the devil? No. Do you have to fear sickness and disease? No. You don't have to have it. The devil is where sickness and disease comes from. And if you walk in obedience to God's Word and do what He says, you don't have to worry about the devil. He cannot touch you. He may be walking right along beside you, trying everything he can to get in your house, tempting you in your mind in everything you do because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. He wants to make you sick and afflict you. That's what his goal is. And he loves it when he gets legal right. But without legal right, he cannot touch you. He cannot touch you. If I had have known these things when I was a young man, I did a few things I'm not proud of when I was a young man. I done one really awful thing that I was not proud of. One awful thing I did in my life. I know God forgave me for that. But it has haunted me all of my life. That one sin. And I thought, oh God, if I'd have known these things when I was 15 years old, I would have never done that. I would have never done it. Then I could have been clean and pure. I mean, I realized when he cleaned me up, he forgave those sins anyway and made me clean and pure. But who, God may be able to forgive and forget your sins, but guess who can't forget them? You can't forget them. You'll always know everywhere you missed the mark. And since you'll always know everywhere you missed the mark, who will be along to remind you of your stupid sins? Oh, our good old buddy. You go to pray the prayer of faith for somebody? You get older, and since the, since the devil knew that he enticed me to do something that I hated so bad when I was a young man, and I fell in that area, one time I did something I knew I shouldn't have done, that devil, as I got older, when I started praying that prayer, started first 
praying their prayer of faith for people, guess what? He immediately throwed in my face. Oh, God, I ain't going to answer your prayer. Remember what you did when you were... And he would even bring that picture back to me. You wicked beast. You think God would do anything good for a wicked guy like you? Boy, he hit me right between the running lights every time I'd go to pray. I finally had to get over it. I finally had to say, Lord, if you washed it and forgave me, I'm clean. I'm going to stop letting that devil beat up on me with that. But do I still hate what I've done? Oh, of course I do. That's like a lady here a while back. After she began to get a hold of these teachings, she came to several of my teachings, and she went to her husband. And she said, Honey, we got to repent together because we lived together for a while before we got married, and we sinned. He said, I didn't do nothing wrong. She said, Yes, we did. We were not married, and we lived together for a while before we got married. She said, I am so sorry I did that. Lord, I repent, and I ask you to forgive me. And she said, of course, Lord, I've been married for years now to this man, but said, Lord, I'm so sorry that I broke your rules. That was a woman of God. Her husband never acknowledged his sin. Never. I didn't do nothing wrong. I mean, according to the Word of God, I have a problem believing the man is a Christian. Because if he really was a Christian, he'd know what he'd done with sin. And he'd want to confess it to the Lord and get free. He wouldn't want to carry that thing with him. It don't take a rocket scientist to know what sin is. All you got to do is read the Bible. It tells you. But he never would acknowledge that. And it broke his wife's heart. It broke her heart because he would never acknowledge what they did was sin. Because she felt just like I did. She asked me about it. She said, do you think he's a Christian? I said, I can't make that judgment. I don't know whether he is or not. Only God knows that. But I said, it doesn't appear he is because he's producing no fruit for the kingdom. But I said, I don't know. I don't know. In other words... If I were to ask the question today, how many of you in here know you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I would hope everybody in here could hold up your hand. But do you know who really knows the truth of that? The Lord. I might say, do you know Jesus? Never wonder. You might hold your hand up. But some of you may not know him. But he knows. He knows. So, if you really know the king, you'll love him and confess him. Now then, if you've sinned, a sin unto death, there's not any use to pray for it. But if you walk without sin, walk holy. And most Christians don't believe you can walk without sin. Now, either you can walk without sin or this book's a liar. So if you walk without sin, the devil would say, it's impossible for you to do that. So don't even try. So if you don't even try, guess who's going to sin? Pretty regular. You are. So guess who's going to wind up sick? Pretty regular. You are. Because every time you sin, you're opening a door to the devil. Now, if Jesus said, if we walk holy before him and we don't sin, if we don't sin, he says the devil can't touch us. So if the devil can't touch you, he cannot make you sick. I must have really been having a good time today. (laughs) This is the first time I've looked at my watch, and it's already 3.20. I have not even looked at my watch. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. 
we're going to take a little short break here. We're going to give you all a few minutes. And uh, what we would like to do, um, I've got a donation box there to, back there to back. I'm not going to take an offering in within this. But if you all want to help support our ministry as you go out today to your break, just drop something in that box. If you want to give a check to our ministry, the TLSM, it's on there. And the money we get from this, this is how we give away our free tapes, and this is how we pay all the people that help us and everything. So usually at the Healing School, I take an offering, but I'm not going to today since it's so late. But if you want to give, if you go to get a drink or bathroom or whatever, just drop your donation in that box back there, and we'll go from there. Y'all take a, about a 20-minute break and come back, and we'll start over again. I'm sorry that I went a little late. <coughs> I am not choked up. Forgive me, Lord, for even making a statement like that. <clears throat> Praise the Lord. Not going to open no doors to the devil. But anyway. All right. Let's go a little bit further here. We're going to find out <clears throat> what we can do, some of these great and mighty promises that the Lord has given us here. And Let's go back to the book of Matthew for a second. And I want to show you something here. Matthew chapter 8. I want to show you a little bit about what you can do here if you believe. In verse uh, 5, and when Jesus, in Matthew 8, verse 5, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion besieging him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus always says, I will come and heal you. Never did he ever turn us down. What a Lord. The centurion answered and said, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Now then, where was the servant? He was back at home. Where was Jesus? Somewhere else in Capernaum. Can the word be spoken and somebody be healed and nobody be here? Sure. I've prayed for people over the telephone many a time. I've even got together with someone. We prayed over somebody and somebody got healed. And they didn't even know we were praying for them. I've seen that happen. It's amazing. But it sure works a lot better if they know it and they're standing in faith with you. And then they need to learn how to stand in faith with you to keep that devil away so he don't come back in. Because the centurion said, I'm a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another come. And he comes. And and do this and he doeth it and when Jesus heard this he marveled and said unto them that followed verily I say unto you I have not found so great faith no not in Israel such great faith now then if he found this kind of great faith and he verse 13 and Jesus said unto the centurion 
Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. What is it that's going to control your healing or your miracle? As you have believed. Do you believe Jesus has already healed you? Do you believe that Jesus is still in the miracle working business? Then he says, as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. If somebody says, well, I know Jesus can heal, but I'm not sure he'll do it for me. Then you don't believe he'll do it for you, and guess what? He won't do it. That's absolutely right. It won't happen. <clears throat> you have to believe the Word of God, because he says, go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. When do we as Christians have power over the enemy? Uh -uh. You have power over me as long as you're not walking in sin. When you're walking in sin, you have no power over him. You can't speak to the devil and have him flee from you when you're living in his camp. So here's the thing you've got to realize. When you get saved, all your sins are washed away. You're not only saved, and you're healed. At the same time you got saved, you were healed. If you knew it. So why do so many people that are Christians don't get healed? Because they don't know that Jesus healed them before he saved them. It has never become a revelation to you that by his stripes you were healed. And when that becomes a revelation that by his stripes you were healed, then if you're sick and afflicted, you start looking at what kind of sin do I have that's opening the door to let this beast in. And it's real easy for Cheryl to sit down and write that song because after where she's been and she's opened the door, like all of us have in sin, when she realized that, just like any normal human Christian, that whenever she realized that all she had to do is repent of her sins and then she has authority over the devil and she can kick him out in the name of Jesus and he has to leave immediately. What's that? Someone asked me the question that they have a mother-in-law that's 78 who's not receiving the healing because they think they're too old to receive healing. Oh, well, that's, well, that's a sin. <laughs> that's a sin. There's no such thing as age in the kingdom. See, here's the thing people think. My goodness, if I'm never going to get sick, how am I going to die? Everybody plans to get sick in their last ages or old age and die. But if Jesus, if he bore my sickness and removed my disease, why should you and me ever be sick? Do we have to be sick to die? Of course not. The king can just take away our breath. So you get to be 85, 90, 95, 105, 115, 120, somewhere along there, and you get ready to go home to be with Jesus, just let him know. Lord, somebody said, that, I don't believe that. Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let me show you something that belongs to you as a child of God. When, I, when this jumped off the page of me one day, I thought, Lord, this is one of the, another one of those things that's too good to be true. 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 21. 1 Corinthians 3, 21. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for a few things belong to us. Oh, how much belongs to us? 
Now, wait a minute. There's got to be a problem here, surely. All things are yours as a Christian. So what does that leave out? So why do we go around begging and pleading with God to give us things for if already, already all ours? Isn't that amazing? So why is it that we go around begging and pleading for something because we don't know it's already ours? It'd be kind of like if I walked up and, and say you, I knew you needed a little money and I folded a couple of hundred dollar bills up and stuck them in your shirt pocket. Now, you felt me put my hand in there and I said, here, I, I left you a little gift in there. And you go home and say, I don't know what he's doing putting his hand in my pocket. He said he left me a gift in there, but I don't, ah, he wouldn't do nothing like that. So you don't even reach in there and see. You go home and you put the shirt in the laundry and you wash it and everything and it washes and the money gets all eaten up and goes down the drain and you don't ever find it. Well, you have them $200 bills with yours all the time. But you wouldn't believe. Oh, Thurman wouldn't give me no money. Well, you don't never know what he might do. You see? But Jesus told us in his word that how many things belongs to us? If all things belong to ours, that includes healing, doesn't it? Well, let's, go, let's look a little further. If all things are yours, he said, whether you're Paul or Apollos or whether you're Peter, Cephas, says, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. What belongs to you as a Christian? Everything. Now, see, with this kind of dominion and authority that the Lord has given us, you can understand why that guy, well, I guess I asked this question, how many of y'all either in the Dallas Morning News or on NBC or CNN or Focus on the Family heard that brother from Thailand speak about what he did with those orphan kids? How many of you heard that story? Several of you have. But most of you have not. There's only about three or four hands went up. <clears throat> now, what belongs to us as children of God? How many things? All things. We have been given dominion and power over the earth as children of God. Well, some of us believe that. Most of us don't. But this uh, Sanders or whatever his name was, Sandlin or Sanders or whatever the guy's name was. What was it? Sanders. Okay, Sanders. Okay. He had an orphan's home. Him and his wife sold their home up in Maryland or whatever and moved to Thailand. And they had about 30 children in this orphanage they were taking care of. And he said the other morning, Sunday morning, about 7.30, his wife come running down the hall screaming, the ocean is coming. He said, I was just out there, and it was just beautiful and smooth. So I went and looked at the door, and there was a 30-foot wall of water coming across the, the bay. He said, it was just about time for church. He said, I screamed at the kids, quick, get in the boat. And he said, 30 kids, which normally takes 15 minutes to get in, they were in there in 10 seconds. He said, it always takes four or five pulls to start that motor. And he said, the first time I pulled it, it started. And he said, we were ripping down that little canal. And he said, I'm looking. Here comes a 30 foot. Do you realize that to the peak of the top of that building right there, that's only not quite 20 feet tall? So you take that wall halfway and stack it on top of that, and that's a 30 foot wall of water. I mean, if it was just tall as that white wall right there, it'd be pretty tall, wouldn't it? But you had 50% more on that, and that's 30 foot. And this wall of water, this seawater, is coming in. It takes a man with great faith, when, and the man that knows the Word, when he gets going down this little uh, corridor 
or this little uh, canal, I mean, with this little old boat with 30 kids and his wife and him, and here comes this wall of water. And he screams, in the name of Jesus, stop. And he said, I thought I was imagining things. It just stopped, stood still. And we went right on by and got out into safety, and then the wall of water come in and crashed. What did Jesus say belonged to us? When are we going to start believing Him? You know? Then Dr. James Dodson, he heard about this. How many of y'all know heard of Dr. James Dodson? Everybody in here knows he's pretty solid. You know, he ain't going to have somebody on his show that they don't have confirmation. But it was in the Dallas Morning News first. I was amazed. Then it was on NBC, and I was amazed. And then when it was on CNN the other night, and the guy literally told, you've seen that too, did you, brother? In the name of Jesus, I commanded that wall to stop, and that wall of water stopped. I thought, wow. What we can do in the name of Jesus. But now let me tell you, in these last days, if you need to be healed or delivered or anything else, you've got to learn who you are as a son or a daughter of the king. You've got to realize Jesus has already done this for you. He's not going to do this for you. It's already done. He's already given us all things as His children. Now then, Matthew 8, one more time. We go back to Matthew 8. There's a tremendous <laughs> statement there in Matthew 8, 17. You've got to get this in your spirit. Matthew 8, 17 says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying. Now do you remember in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 when we read he bore our pains and our sorrows, our sickness and our disease? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, Himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus took away your weaknesses and your infirmities and your pains and bore your sicknesses, why should you and Him both have it? You ever stop to think about that? Why should you and Him both be sick? If He bore it for you, why do we bear it? Well, that, let me ask you the same question about sin. If Jesus died on the cross to bear our sins in His own body, then why in the world do we go out and sin? Is that a good question? If He bore every sin for you, then why have you sinned one single time since you got saved? You just didn't know. You're nearly dumb as I was. You know it? I won't say you're dumb as me, but I'll say you nearly was as dumb as me. Because I didn't know what the king had done for me. I didn't realize that I don't have to go out and sin no more. Jesus has already done it for me. He became sin, so I don't have to sin. Every time the devil comes to you and tries to put a thought in your mind and tries to get you to go do the wrong things, you're going to have to kick him out. you got that power, right? Every time you sin, you make a conscious decision to do it. You don't have to. You can beat it. But the devil will make it nearly impossible for you to do that. He's very good at what he does. He will get you at the most vulnerable time. You've had an extremely hard day today. Everything in the world has gone wrong today. I mean, you're right on the brink, and you're so tired and wore out, and you walk in, and there's one little thing 
That's all it takes to push you over the edge. And the devil jumps right in the middle of you. And you just lost it. I know none of y'all ever done that besides me. <laughs> Here's a <the> young lady. <laughs> Boy, she laughed. I think she's done that just like I have a couple of times. Only a couple. But we don't have to go there, do we? That's just like every time the devil tries to put sickness and disease upon you. I had a Baptist preacher friend of mine call me the other day. He said, Thurman, I got a praise report. When I first met this guy, he knew I was the craziest man he'd ever met in his life. I mean, he'd been to seminary and I hadn't. And I started talking about these things. He said, whoa. He said, Lord, I know why you put me this guy. You put me this guy to straighten him out. He is so fouled up. Well, he found out he was fouled up. And he got straightened out. So he called me the other day and said, hey. I got a praise report. I said, what's that? He said, I stepped in the shower the other day and I was washing myself and right here on my hip, there was a big knot on my hip. He said, this has been 15 years ago? He said, I guarantee I'd have been to the doctor's office the next morning. He said, I felt that thing on my backside. I said, oh, no, devil. I'm not living in no kind of sin. He said, oh, no, you don't. He said, in the name of Jesus, I command that lump to go away and said, I'm supposed to walk in divine health. He said, you ain't going to do this to me. In the name of Jesus, get out. He said, a couple of days later, I sat back in charge today and a single thing there. It's gone. Amen. But that's like a man over here we visited with him and his wife just the other day. And he's a doctor. And he come to our church a few months ago. And he said, Thurman, I got a great big tumor right here on my leg. I want you to pray for me that the Lord will take that off. I said, okay. So I prayed with him. Six weeks later... He comes back to church next time I saw him. I said, well, did that tumor go away? He said, it did. I said, well, how did it happen? He said, it just went away this week. He said, that's why I come back to church today. I won't tell you how it happened. And he's a Pentecostal charismatic. He said, this last week, I was out there in my lot, and he said it rained a whole lot, and he had a big prize bull, a couple of them. And he said the mud was so deep, and they, they got to walking in that lot, and said one of them got bogged down, the other and hit him real hard and broke his leg. And said two of them big, fancy, high-powered bulls, one of them is now hamburger meat. That's all he's good for. So I went out there and had to pull him out with a winch and everything else, get him out of there. And then we had to send him down to the locker plant so he could kill him. And, and said a, a bull that was worth thousands of dollars is worth, you know, nothing, just meat. And he said, time I got him out, got him loaded, got back in the house, I was muddy from head to my bottom, top of my head, bottom of my feet. I walked into the bathroom, stripped off. I started to go in the shower, and I looked down, and there's that big tumor on my leg. And he said, I was so mad at the devil, I was telling the devil what he had to do because he'd ruined one of my bulls. And said, I reached down and raised my leg up, and I slapped that thing, and I said, Devil, you're going to take that off too in the name of Jesus. He said, One in the tuck shower and come out, and it was gone. <laughs> How much power do we have over the devil? You see who's putting this stuff on us? He went to the Lord and he said, Lord, I asked you with Thurman for six weeks to take that thing off and you didn't take it off. He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I didn't put it on you. I didn't. He said, Lord. He said, you don't think I do them kind of things, do you? He said, well, no. He said, so you're asking me to take off something I didn't put on. He said, you finally got all you could stand for the devil when you commanded him to take it off. He's the one who put it on you. He had to take it off. Isn't that amazing? But he said, I got mad. He said, I was mad. You know what happened to a good Christian when he gets mad at the devil? 
That's what we got to do, brother. We got to learn to get mad at the devil, not at God. You know what most people do when something like this comes upon? If we get mad at God, God didn't put this stuff on you. The devil put it on you. And when he goes in there and slaps that thing, and boy, he said, I was mad and I slapped it hard. I said, devil, you're going to take that off too in the name of Jesus. And think, goes in and takes a shower and comes out and starts drying himself off and that big old tumor is gone. Who puts all this sickness and disease upon us? The devil. Now then, if Jesus has already bore our sickness and removed our disease... And he says clearly in his word, if we don't sin, we don't open the door to the devil. So if some kind of sickness and disease comes upon us, what's the first thing we should do? Find out where we've missed it. Now, what could that sin be? Let's say you are a holy, born-again, spirit-filled Christian walking in obedience to God's word. But let's just say your sin is you don't know the promises of God. Did he tell you somewhere in his Bible to study, to show yourself approved unto God? Yes, he did. If you're not studying it, if you hadn't studied it, is that a sin? Sure. If you don't know the promises of God, can you go beyond knowledge of any subject? No. I don't know what you do for a living, but it makes no difference. It, just like me, I mean, I could have walked up in the cockpit of a DC-8 a few years ago, and I would have had no idea what nothing was in that airplane. If somebody said, we want you to fly this, I'd have said, well, you got to get somebody else. I don't know what I'm doing. But after I'd been to school, went to the good schools, and came back, and they trained me and taught me what all these systems were, and now I walk in that airplane, I sat down, I know what every instrument, every circuit breaker, everything in that airplane, it wasn't a thing in that cockpit. I didn't know where it went. So I felt pretty comfortable when I wanted to crank those engines and taxi out the end of the runway and take that beast off and take it to London. No big deal. I knew my airplane. But before I got that training, I couldn't go beyond my knowledge. But once I got that knowledge, flying that airplane was a piece of cake. Without the knowledge of God's Word, you cannot even get saved, healed, or nothing else. When you go to a good church and they preach and teach that Jesus forgave you all your sins, and all you got to do is confess Him with your mouth and believe with your heart, and the Father will save you, when you hear that enough times, you get that. Now, how many people are like I was? I, d- I heard that in a Baptist church every Sunday till I was 11 years old before I received it. Why did it take so long? It's a good question, isn't it? The enemy was there to blind my mind to the truth. And he blinded me for 11 years. Finally, because of my mother and dad's prayers and everything else, and hearing this subject over and over and over, I finally got it. Kind of dense, wouldn't you say? 11 years. It took me 11 years to believe that he had died on the cross for my sins. And then the day that I acknowledged him as my Lord and Savior, did I see any angels? No. Did I hear any bells? No. Did I hear God speak to me? No. Well, then how do I know I'm saved? The Word told me so. Is that right? I don't need anything else, do I? Now then somebody said, well, I know that if you'll pray for me and if my pain goes away, I know I'll get healed. You ain't never going to get healed. You've got to believe the Word. You've got to believe the Word. If you believe the Word with no doubt in your heart, then if you take these mighty promises like the Lord give us here, when He says that 
himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Jesus didn't want his church to be sick or weak. He bore it for us. You can't beat that, can you? But the enemy, which we talked about, comes upon you and puts these sickness and disease upon you. That I want you to turn to this magnificent promise in 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. I want you to see what the Lord has done for us here. I read this a lot of times and it didn't make sense to me. But when I finally got a hold of this, 1 John 3, He that committeth sin is of the devil. So if you say you're a born-again Christian, you're going out there and you're living like the devil, you're lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery or fornication or all those things, if you're doing those things, who's with you? The devil. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. You're listening to the wrong voice. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or made known that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, if Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, you think he did that? You think he did what he said he come to do? If it says he come to destroy the works of the devil, turn back a few pages to Hebrews, Hebrews 2.14. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Now, who is that? That's you and me, sons of God. He also himself, Jesus, likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. You know, when you read that, you think, how did he do that? How did he do that? Stop and think about this. When the Lord made the world, made the world to start out with, He gave it to who? Adam and Eve. He made it for man, and He gave it to us. And it belonged to us, and we were the gods of this world. Now, how many of you ever thought about yourself as a god? Somebody says, that's the closest thing to New Age I ever heard. But that's... The Word calls us gods. You need to see yourself as a god of this world. How are you a god of this world? Because who's in you? Jesus. Is He God? If He's in you, then you are a god, man, or woman because Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when you start believing this, you'll see what He says you can do. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and said he did it here, how did he do it? Well, in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they were gods and made gods of this world. Little g, not big g. There's only one big g. That's God. But they were made the gods of this world, and he gave them dominion and power over the whole world, over everything, over the sea, over the animals, everything. He gave us dominion. And then like a couple of dummies, we allowed this beast to come in and deceive us. And the woman, being deceived, was in the transgression. Now see, God told Adam what to do. And Adam went and told his wife what to do. 
So the woman was in the transgression. The man was not. The man had looked God right in the eye when he said, Son, don't you eat of that tree. You think he understood that? Sure he did. He turned and told his wife. God spoke directly to him. And then he told his wife. And she heard it from him. But then she ate of the fruit of the tree. And she, being in the transgression, come back and told her husband, Hey, this fruit's okay. It's not anything wrong with it. Try one. Now, right there, he's got a choice to make. He's either going to listen to this lovely wife that God's given him, or he's going to listen to God. And he listened to her. And they both fell. And the devil became the God of this world. They gave it away. And he has been the God of this world, the prince of the power of the air of this world ever since. And he still is today. The devil is still the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air of this world. But you and I, as sons and daughters of God, are not under his dominion and authority no more. Once we come out of it, the reason that we don't have to be there is because for the first 4,000 years, when you read the New Testament, you'll never find anywhere where nobody cast the devil out of nobody for 4,000 years because we all lived in sin. There was no holy people. We all belonged to the devil. But then 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. And he came from the Father in heaven, and he was pure and clean, and there was no sin in him, so the devil had no claim to him. They tried every way in the world to get him to sin, but he would not sin. He stood on the Word, born under the law. He kept it without sin. He gave no place to the devil. So the devil had it with Jesus. Until he finally said, okay, if we can't get him to sin, we're just going to kill him anyway. And so they put him on the cross. Just like 1 Corinthians says, if the principalities and powers had known what they were doing, they would have no wise crucified the Son of Glory. When they crucified him, they killed a guilty man or an innocent man? Innocent. When they killed an innocent man, Genesis 9, 6 says, if you kill an innocent man, what's to be done to you? Your blood is required, right? You can't go out and kill an innocent man without paying the consequence. And that's what the devil did. So in the judicial system of heaven, he done his worst work that day. When he killed Jesus, he killed himself. Isn't that amazing? He killed himself. Did he annihilate him? No, didn't annihilate him. But he killed him. And he lost all of his power. Now, he knows the minute you get a hold of this, that he has no power over you whatsoever. He's going to change the way you do business. I read those scriptures. In fact, let me, go, let me show you after what Jesus did here, destroying the works of the devil by becoming flesh and blood. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. And I want you to see. Well, I read this scripture I don't know how many times in Colossians 1. Verse 25, Colossians 1, 25, Paul says, Whereof I am made a minister or a servant according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations but now is made known or manifest to his saints. The mystery? What mystery? 
The mystery that's been made known. There's a secret here? Yes. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just think. The devil couldn't handle one man with no sin. So he killed him to get rid of him. And he didn't realize he was going to duplicate him over a million times over. Because every one of us that believe, how many of our sins does he, can, he, he repent, we, uh, can, uh, forgive us of? So that means we're clean. If we're clean of sin and we're dead to sin and Christ moves in, you've got another Jesus standing right here. Every one of you is a Jesus because Christ in you, the hope of glory. When you get to where you wake up in the morning and you look up in that mirror and you say, Woo, Lord, look at that thing. Look at that thing. Lord, there ain't no telling what me and you can do today because you're in me and you can't get out. You're in there. You come in. This is the mystery that was hidden for the foundation when I accepted you as Lord and Savior. You come flooding into me by the power of the Holy Ghost and you're, and Jesus. And Lord, there ain't, Lord, ain't, Lord, ain't nothing in you can't do today. Turn me loose on somebody, Lord. I am a daughter of the King of the universe. Look at yourself as a princess. When you begin to see yourself as a prince of the king of the universe, hey, and everything he had is yours, ain't nothing you and me can't do in the name of Jesus, right? It will change everything about you. Now then, this was a mystery that was hidden. If Satan had have known that he was fixing to duplicate Jesus over every time somebody comes to know Jesus, well, let's just see what happens when we accept Jesus. Look in Colossians 1. Verse 13. Colossians 1.13. Let's just read verse 12 too. Giving thanks unto the Father has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Where did He deliver you from? The power of darkness. And has translated us into the kingdom of of his dear son. In other words, you used to be living out in the snake pit. You used to be out there in the muck and the mare. But now then, he's translated you out of that kingdom, delivered you out of that kingdom, and translated you in to the kingdom of God and made you a joint heir with Jesus. We're not nobodies no more. We are sons of God. We have the power within us to speak to a 30-foot wall of water and command it to stop in the name of Jesus. If you do it in faith, that wall of water will stop. A lawyer from New York called me the other day. He said, Thurman, I know you love awesome praise reports. He said, a relative of mine was in a tour bus in Israel and a terrorist was in the bus and he announced that he's fixing to blow the bus up. And this relative of his screamed, in the name of Jesus, I'm protected. And he pushed the button. And everybody in that bus was completely annihilated and blown away. And she walked out without a scratch. Isn't that amazing? 
See, people say, I don't believe that. Well, don't, don't try it because it won't work with you then. He is a faith God. He expects you to believe these promises. He says, He's delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all these things He might have the preeminence. Now turn over to Colossians 2, starting verse 13, and let me show you what He's done here for you and me. And you, in verse 13, and you being dead in your sins. Are you dead in your sins? He sees you that way. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you, how many trespasses? All. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Wait a minute blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What is the handwriting of ordinances that was against us? What's he talking about? The law. What was against us? The law. Could anybody keep the law? Did anybody ever keep the law? Only one. And that was Jesus. He was the only one. We could have done it if we'd had him in us. But we didn't have him in us. But now we do have. Now that we got him in us, it says he blotted out the law or the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So what did he do with the law? Nailed it to his cross. Are you under the law anymore? No. You're not under the law. As long as you walk in love, you're above the law. Because you walk under grace. How do you do that? You walk in love. When you walk in love, you walk in grace. Now, is it possible to step out of grace? Yes. How do you step out of grace? Step out of love. When you step out of love and you sin, what do you do to the law? You transgress it and you break it. And then the devil has legal right to get you. Let me give you a worldly scenario that you'll understand. Right out there on that highway, the speed limit is 55. If you own a car, and you got a driver's license, and it's current, and you got insurance, and it's current, and you got an inspection sticker, and it's current, and you got an inspection and a license plate sticker, and it's current, you can get out there on that highway in your car. By grace from the state of Texas, they'll let you drive on that road. Unless you drive over 55. If you're driving 55 or under, there ain't nobody going to bother you. Now, do we have police officers patrolling up and down these roads to watch us? As we came over here, we come down 114. There was two, two motorcycle cops, and they were both very busy over there where the speed limit drops down to 40. You know, I don't know what it is when it drops from 65 to 55 to 40. Some people just don't seem to understand what that means. Y'all know where I'm coming from? I mean, two police officers, two motorcycle cops, one on both sides of the road, and they're stopping them all over the place. 
And then you get one stop and then you get over the hill and they think you can't see them and the guy's already going 50 again. Because of the grace of the state of Texas, as long as you meet all the criteria, you can drive on that road and never get stopped by a police officer. If I get out there on that road with all that criteria met and I never drive over 55, will I ever get stopped? No, shouldn't. Now, what if one day I'm driving down the road and my safety inspection ticker has got four month four on it and this is month six? Cop goes by and says, hey, wait, that says four. This is six. What's wrong with that guy? Turns around and stops me. In fact, I was going to church last May, a year ago, January, February, March, April, May, five, and it was June, about June the 2nd or 3rd, first Sunday in June. And I'm driving 50 miles an hour on a 55-mile-an-hour road going down 407. I meet a police officer. I ain't got no problem. Had much more than passed me when he turns around, turns on all these lights. And I thought, whoa, he must have got a call. I guess I better pull over to get out of his way. I pulled over and he pulled up behind me. He got up and said, can I see your driver's license and your insurance? I said, of course, sir. I said, but what for? He said, let me just see them. I thought, okay. So I got my insurance out. I got my driver's license, handed them to him. He's looking at them. He said, well, everything seems to be in order. I said, well, sir, would you mind if I ask you why you stopped me? I'm on the way to church. He said, you see this? I said, yes, sir. He said, it ran out three days ago. I said, wow, that's right. It is June, isn't it? He said, yeah, and that's got a five on it. You need to get you a new one tomorrow morning. I said, no problem. I'll be right down there to get me a new one. Now then, if I'd have had a six on that, I'd have been okay, wouldn't I? But I fell from grace. I transgressed the law, and the police officer had legal right to stop me. In the spirit world, it works the same way. When you fall from grace, you get out of love. When you get out of love, you transgress the law. You fall from grace... And who's the police officers in the spirit world? Yeah. Satan and his demons. And they're there to get you. And they will get you, let me tell you. So don't go there. Because according to verse 14 of Colossians 2, he's blotted out <coughs> the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And by nailing it to his cross, he spoiled principalities and powers. What does it mean to spoil principalities and powers? It means to disarm Satan and his host. If Jesus disarmed Satan and his powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, the cross. If he triumphed over them, as long as you walk without sin in your life, you walk holy before him, how much legal right does the devil have to get you? None. He cannot touch you. If Jesus disarmed the devil, you're going to have to rearm him through sin before he can get you. How do you rearm the devil after he's been totally stripped of all of his power and armor? Sin. When you step into sin, you rearm him. And once he's got some armament, he's, guess what he's going to do with that armament? He's going to attack you with it. He cannot do that as long as you walk in obedience to God's Word, walking in love. As long as you keep these requirements, 
The law has been nailed to the cross and Jesus has disarmed the devil. And if the devil's been completely disarmed and you don't give him a weapon to fight with, you've got a weapon. That's all you need. You know what that weapon is? The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So if you've got your sins repented of and you come against the devil with the Word of God, what does that devil have to do to you when he comes to sickness and disease? He has to leave you. You'd be just like Miss Emily Dawson. Miss Emily, she repented of all of her sins. She began to get a hold of these things. And the more she tried to stand on the Word, the worse the devil come against her and the more pain and the more sickness she's got. What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to deceive her to make her think these things don't work. And she said, as my friends would come see me, they'd come and say, Miss Emily, how are you doing? She'd say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. So they'd look over me and they'd say, Well, Miss Emily, you don't look very good. You look awful weak and awful sick. She said, I don't go by what I see. I go by what's written. And the Word says, I am healed. So she said, I have power over the enemy and I am healed. She said, I'd get the hurting so bad, I'd get up out of my bed and I'd stomp my feet and I'd say, You devil of hell, you're not going to have me. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of me. And it took her almost one year of fighting that fight when she was 54 years old. But she's now 75 and she's a ball of fire. And she's had no sickness and disease in the last 20 years. But she had 13 surgeries times she's 53. You think the devil didn't beat up on her? How was the devil able to beat up on her with so much sickness and disease and so many surgeries if she was a Baptist woman going to church every time the door was open? Ignorance. That's exactly right. She did not know what belonged to her. And that's a sin, to not know what belongs to you from God's Word. If that devil has been stripped of all of his power and armament, then why in the world do we rearm him by sinning? To walk holy before God. In other words, you can go downtown Dallas. You can walk to the worst part of downtown Dallas where all the clubs are, the bars, the homosexuals, and everything else. And there ain't not one single person can touch you legally. But if you go in one of them places and have a few beers, get to messing with the people, get to drink and have a few mixed drinks, and you walk out on that street and get in your car, and that police officer sees you, and he knows you've just had one drink, what can they do to you? They can lock you up. They can lock you up. You do not have to give place to the devil. You can walk holy. If you walk holy, the devil cannot attack you, and all sickness and disease comes from the devil. So when sickness and disease comes upon you, you've got to realize, I've got to repent and believe this book. Somebody says, but I hope he's going to heal me. Well, let me tell you, with that kind of an attitude, you ain't never going to get healed. You can't hope he's going to heal you. You've got to know he's already healed you on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he's already stripped the devil. He's already defeated him. He's already taken all of his power and armament. He's already completely, totally disarmed him completely where he has no power and no authority. And then when you get your sins confessed, let's go back to Luke 10, 19, and 20. Go back to Luke. And I want to show you what you can do in the name of Jesus when you get to where you believe this book. 
Luke 10, 19 and 20. Luke 10, 19. Verse 18, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now, why do you think Jesus beheld Satan fall from like lightning from heaven? Who do you think cast him out of heaven? Jesus did. That's why he beheld him, because he saw him. He's the one that kicked him out. There was war in heaven when the devil decided that he wanted to make his throne higher than God's. I mean, can you imagine the audacity of a created being that would try to think he could do that? But he did. And he tried it. And there was war in heaven. And the devil was kicked out. And unfortunately for us, he was kicked out to the earth. He came down here where we are. And now he is walking around on this earth, devouring whom he may. And over Christians, how much power does he have over us if we don't sin? None. Absolutely none. He can't do nothing to you. Now, what if he comes in and tries to put a symptom upon you and you're walking in obedience to the Word? Can he do that? Sure he can. He comes in and put a symptom. Did you know this morning when I woke up, I started getting ready and all of a sudden I had a very sharp pain in that finger right there. A very sharp pain. And you know what the first thought that came to my mind? You know what the thought? I mean... No normal human being would do this. This has totally got to be the devil. He put that sharp pain in my finger, and then immediately the thought came to my mind, oh, you're fixing to have arthritis in that hand. I said, no, devil, I ain't buying that at all. I said, in the name of Jesus, you get out of my life. And guess what happened to the pain? It went away. He's good, isn't he? He's very good. Now, if you don't know these things and he starts putting those pains on you and then put that thought right behind you and you speak that out of your mouth, then you open the door and you give him legal right to put arthritis on you. It's amazing how this works. Look at Luke ten nineteen. then. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents, that's the devil, and his scorpions or his demons, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding in this, rejoice not. In other words, nevertheless, rejoice not that the evil spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What kind of power did he give us over the devil? If we don't sin, how much power we got over the beast? Oh, so he comes to us and tries to put a symptom or a pain or something on us? We don't have to receive it, do we? When you learn what that devil's doing on this earth, then you'll learn when he comes and puts a thought in your mind to do something wrong. You know, I don't care whether you're a young person, an old person, or whatever. The devil tries to come to you and get you to sin, whether it be lying, cheating, committing fornication, adultery, whatever it is, as a son or a daughter of God, if the devil comes to you and says, oh, just lie, just tell, tell that woman just a little bitty lie, it won't hurt nobody. Now, you've got a choice to make right there, don't you? And if you lie, guess what he's going to do? He's going to come back somewhere and bite you somehow. He'll catch you. He'll make sure. Or if you walk in one day to your company and there is an extra five $100 bill just laying on the shelf and everybody's going home. Nobody knows that's there and you're in the building all by yourself and there's no security cameras in here. And the devil says, ah, there's $500. Just put that in your pocket. Nobody will ever know. You've got a choice to make right there, don't you? You're going to say, no, devil, 
I am not picking that up. I'm going to put that in an envelope. I'm going to seal it somewhere, and I'm going to find out Monday where that money come from. But I am not putting that money. I'm not stealing that money. Because if you do, guess what he's going to do to you? You know what people don't understand? So let's say that was just a $100 bill. And you picked it up and you said, wow, I made $100 today. Put that in your pocket and you walked out. And you go out and get in your car, which has only got 38,000 miles on it, only 2,000 miles out of warranty. And you didn't get the extended warranty. And your transmission goes out and costs you $2,000 to get it fixed. And you never put the two together. You see where I'm coming from? You give the devil legal right to attack you. And he did. Let me tell you, you don't get by with much on this earth. Not very much. So, how do you keep the devil from doing these things and making you sick and afflicting you and tearing up your car and everything else? You walk holy before God. And then you don't open no doors to the beast. Will you still have a few problems every once in a while? Of course, everything wears out. Everything on this earth wears out. But it shouldn't wear out prematurely. Makes you wonder why two guys goes in and buys a brand new Chevrolet or a Ford or whatever the same day, same car, and one of them, all he has is problems with it his whole life, and the other guy drives it 200,000 miles and never has no trouble. There's a big difference. You need to check out those two guys' lives. You'll find there's a big difference where they're living. One of them's living in obedience to the Word of God. One of them's going to church, tithing, walking holy before God. The other one is not. And he's opening the door to the devil. <clears throat> when you get a hold of these things, what you can do in the name of Jesus, you've got to realize all these promises of God are available to those that walk in obedience to God's Word. If you're living in sin, you have to repent. Once you repent and get your sins repented of, will the Lord forgive you when you repent? Of course He will. Once He forgives you, then you can get healed. You can receive your healing. You can receive anything from God if you're willing to believe His promises. All the promises of God are yes and amen. Every time. So you need to learn to walk holy before God. Then with your sins confessed and repented of, you can come and ask the Lord for anything. In fact, let me take you to just a few places. We've already been to Matthew 18, 19. But let me go to Mark 16. Let me show you. We'll hit a few of these right here in the last few minutes. We'll hit a Mark 16. And let me show you some of the ways that Jesus... Actually, let's, let's stop at Mark 11 first. That's such a powerful one. Let me show you one of the ways Jesus said that you can get healed. Mark 11, 22 and 23. And then we'll go to Mark 16. Look what the Lord says here. And of course, I've used these verses many times. Mark eleven twenty two, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Have faith in God. What do you have to have? Faith in God. Now, you can have faith if you're not walking in love. If you're not walking in love, Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, Your faith worketh by love. Now, hope is available to those that are in disobedience, but faith is not. That's why so few people walk in the faith world, because they don't walk in love. If you want your faith to work and work powerfully, you've got to walk in love. So, he says, Have faith in God, for verily I say unto you, or truly I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, 
but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, what can you have? Whatever you say. So, if you're saying the wrong things, what are you having? The wrong things. That's just like this man that we knew of that had a pancreas. This same verse right here. The man that had a pancreas that had been dead for 37 years. He was on insulin. Pancreas did not work. Got a hold of that scripture. And it became a revelation to him. So he started saying, Lord, I want to thank you that my pancreas is renewed and it's working perfect and I don't have to take any more insulin. Now, the mountain that's withholding that from working, I command that to leave the block. Whatever it is, I command that to leave and I speak to my pancreas and pancreas, I command you in the name of Jesus to start working and produce the exact amount of insulin for me so I don't have to take insulin no more in Jesus' name. So it goes in, starts saying that. It goes in, he checks his insulin level. It's the same. He puts it in there. He takes it. Say, Lord, I want to thank you that my pancreas is working perfect in Jesus' name. Next day, he checks his pancreas, checks his insulin, no change. Lord, I want to thank you that my pancreas is working perfect in the name of Jesus. Month after month after month. After about a year, all of a sudden, he don't need quite as much insulin as he used to. It's going down. Took him about a year. And at the end of the second year, he was just taking very little insulin. And then one day he went to a doctor for some kind of checkup. And the doctor checked him and said, you know, that pancreas years has been dead all these years. It appears to be working again. He said, the, from the test, it's, it's working fine. He said, are you taking any insulin? He said, very little. He said, why don't you stop and let's just see what happens. And he did. And he never took any more insulin. After a dead pancreas for 37 years, speaking the Word of God for two years, what did Jesus say you could have? You think he'd lie to us? No, no, Jesus won't lie to us. But see, what happens is, we say, Lord, I command my pancreas to start working in the name of Jesus. You go home and check it, and there ain't no change. You say, oh, well, I guess it wasn't for me. didn't work for me. The devil said, yeah, you unworthy sinner, you. You lousy old sinner, you. You know God ain't going to do nothing good for you. And, of course, you doubted. And when you doubted, what did the king say you had to do? How much doubt can you have? None. That doesn't leave a whole lot of room for error, does it? No doubt. But after all, he's only God. Isn't that amazing? Since he's only God and he's in us, he expects us to believe him. Because look at the next verse. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. What kind of limitations is that? See, that's the verse right there I used to get the valve fixed in my granddaughter's throat. After 10 months, that valve would not work. I used that verse every month, every two months, for 10 months, and her valve in her throat would not work. I kept taking her back to the doctor, taking her back to the doctor, and they're checking it would not work. Finally, after 10 months, I said, Lord, I've missed it somewhere. I come back and looked at that verse how many of you know it's very difficult to read one verse every day several times for two weeks? 
One verse. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. You read that over and over several times a day for two weeks, it'll almost become a revelation to you. So I realized finally what I'd done and how I'd sinned. When did that say, what things soever you desire? I desired that valve in my little granddaughter's throat work. He says, when you pray, believe that it's done. And you shall have it. Now let me tell you, this is where you find out if you're a faith person or you're just playing games. When you repent, and the doctors told you, if you feed her anything by mouth, it's going to run into her lungs and kill her. That's what the doctor just said. And we just come from the doctor's office two weeks before, and it didn't work. And I repent, pray that prayer one more time, and I say, Lord, thank you that the valve in Caitlin's throat works perfect in Jesus' name. And I walk over to her house, and I said, Toby, that's her daddy. I said, Toby, God's waiting on you and me. He said, what do you mean? I said, I prayed again this morning, and Caitlin's valve's working. He said, Thurman, we just got back from the doctor just a couple of weeks ago, and it didn't work. I said, it didn't work two weeks ago. It didn't work this morning. Well, right now it does. He said, how do you know that? I said, the Word says it does. He said, what are you trying to tell me? I said, God's waiting on you and me. So what I want you to do is feed her. He said, Thurman, if I give her some deeds, it's going to run into her lungs and kill her. I said, well, that kind of a thought, it's going to. But I prayed the prayer of faith, and I guarantee that valve's healed this morning. I said, give her some applesauce. He had a little bowl of applesauce. I said, give her a bowl of applesauce and a little bottle of drink there and let her eat it and drink it. Is that going to put you to the test? It did me too. What are you going to do there? Will that find out if you believe this book or not? Will that put you to the test? It will put anybody to the test. But she sat down that morning and we gave her a bowl of applesauce and a little bottle of drink and she ate and drank. And from that day to this, nearly three years have come and went. She can eat and drink anything she wants to eat or drink from that day forward. Will that put you to the test? If that's your child or your grandbaby, and at the time that's the only one I had, since then, I got another one. Two. And who knows how many Tim and Marac are going to have, you know, good grief. They say they're going to raise a house full. I said, okay. Who knows? I may, I may have a, a herd of kids running around here one of these days with them too. But they both want lots of children, so who knows? Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, Believe that you receive them, and you will have them part of the time. That's not what he said. He said you can have them when? All the time. Did the Lord cut us short with anything? No. Let's turn over to Mark 16 now. Let's see what he said here about how to get somebody healed. Mark 16. This Jesus made this so simple, I don't have any idea how we messed this up. Mark 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 
Now then, when you go tell somebody about Jesus and they say they believe, do you know that they believed or not? No, you really don't know. You just know what they said. But in their heart, they got to believe this. If they believe it, they really got saved. If they were just speaking words and they didn't really believe it, nothing happened. They did not get saved. And that's the big thing. You really can't see the tangible results right then. Now, over time, you'll be able to tell. If what they do produces fruit for the kingdom of God, then they truly got saved. If they come in and said they got saved, and next week or next month or next year they're back out there in the world, and they're not no change, and they're not have no remorse for their sins, and they're living in sin and doing all those things, I don't believe they got saved. But I don't even know that. Jesus is the only one that really knows that. You know, so that's why I say it's up to him. I can't really tell. But this next one you can tell. Verse 17 says, And these signs shall follow those that believe. The believing believer. In my name shall you cast out devils. Does the devil have to leave when you drive him out? Providing the people got their sins confessed? He has to leave. Yes. In my name shall you cast out devils, and then you shall speak with new tongues. A lot of people don't believe you can do that either. But Jesus says you can. Verse 18 says, They shall take up the serpent, or the devil, and if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. Now, if you ever drink anything deadly, you ever get any poison in you or anything, why run to the doctor with a promise like this? You know, you get any kind of poison in your body, so you eat some kind of food, they say, oh my goodness, this food had food poison in it. Should you worry about it as a Christian? No, claim the promises of God. What if you were to get stung by a whole bunch of wasps? Is that poison? Can you claim that promise? Can you get healed? Yeah. In fact, there is a man that uh, been coming to my church there in Dallas for several months. And he was telling me just a few Sundays ago that there was a Spanish lady that works where he works. And I think she's a cleaning lady. And she wasn't there one morning and they wondered what happened to her. And a lady friend of hers or something... Uh, said that she had got bitten with wasp or something, or maybe I don't remember the story exactly. But anyway, this woman had got stung by multitudes of wasps all over her head. I don't know where she was or what she'd done, but said everything swelled, clo- eyes swelled closed, nose swelled shut, tongue was all, everything. She was just stung all over, and her throat was swelling shut, and so they took her to a doctor, and the doctor said there wasn't nothing they could do to call in the family. She was going to die. And so that was Sunday when they took her to the doctor. And Monday morning, this man found out about it. He said, when I found out about it, he said, we've been listening to a bunch of your tapes and CDs. So he said, I got about four people together in the office. And I said, hey, let's stand on Matthew 18, 19 for that woman. I mean, what Jesus said, if two of us on earth agree about what? Anything? Would that include a woman that's got her throat all swelled up and can't breathe? Sure. Four of them gathered together. And then Andy said, this is the first, or Greg he said, this is the first time in my life I ever had this kind of faith in God's Word. He said, now I guarantee that woman's healed because God said we could ask. Is that faith? Yeah. Absolutely, that's faith. And you know what the king of the universe did? They prayed that at noon that day when they heard about it. And the next morning when that woman come back to work, she said, my goodness, is a miracle. My friend, whoever it was, the other lady, by 9 o'clock that night, she was completely healed. Completely healed and out of the hospital home without a sign of a mark or any swelling on her body. And at noon, she is supposed to be dead shortly. And four 
little, simple Christians that finally believed God's Word met and prayed the prayer of faith for that woman, and she was completely healed in just a few hours. What can we do by faith in the name of Jesus? Isn't that amazing? And then what do we do? When something like that happens, the first thing we want to do is say, I can't believe that really happened. We've got to start thinking like God. you know that? Instead of like man. And Jesus said, No deadly poison shall hurt you. And then he says, They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, is that a guarantee from God? To get well? Now then, if you don't cancel that by not speaking the word... If somebody casts the devil out of you and lays hands on you and you've got your sins confessed and you walk holy before God, you have to get well. You have to get well. Now, who knows? It may take a few minutes or a few days or whatever. The way I like it is like Cheryl, when I prayed over her leg, she got healed instantly. That's lots of fun to see God do that. And another thing too, when I prayed for uh, Lori, she was up before James, her husband. Before he got home, she was up and healed. And then, of course, like uh, Sharon, when we prayed for Sharon, she got healed right there on the spot. I love it when God does those kind of miracles. I love that. But does he do it like that all the time? No. Like I say, if I'd have prayed over Cheryl's legs and they'd, three weeks later, she said, my legs are still cold. But she said, I know it's done because Jesus made me the promise. <coughs> so see, you've got to stand on his word. You've got to believe it with no doubt in your heart. He may be trying to show you something or strengthen you or whatever, but don't doubt the Word of God. If you stand on it, you have to get your answer. Now then, if Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll get well, and He's given us all power over the enemy, then let's go to one last verse that we're going to quit for the day and pray for the people. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 1, and this verse right here is going to, Tie something in that Second Corinthians chapter 1 that everybody needs to know. Because so many people, well, it says it's God's will to heal you sometimes, and sometimes it's not. It is always God's will to heal you unless you have committed to sin unto death. If you've committed to sin unto death, you're in trouble. But don't let the devil deceive you thinking you've committed to sin unto death. Don't believe that under no conditions. Repent of your sins and believe it's done. Fight tooth and nail to get your healing. Don't give up. Because look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God, all the promises of God in Him or in Jesus are yes and in Him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. So how many of His promises are yes? How often are they yes? Every time. Every time. So if the Lord has given us all this as His children, do you think He wants His children, number one, do you think He wants His children to walk in sin? Absolutely not. He told us not to. Do you think He wants His children to walk in sickness and disease? No. So then stand on the Word, make sure your sins are repented of, and stand on the Word of God and drive that devil out after you repented and don't take no for an answer. Be like Miss Emily Dodson, the lady that jumped up every time the devil had come upon her and some horrible pains and symptoms had come upon her. She'd jump up with all the faith and, and power she had and stomp her feet and say, Devil, 
You're coming out of me. You ain't having me in the name of Jesus. And it took her a year to drive that beast out. But with lupus, but she's totally healed ever since. If you take it by force with the Word of God, your answer is yes every time. You don't never have to take no for an answer. If you've got your sins confessed, repented of, you've broken the curses, you take authority over the devil and you kick him out in the name of Jesus. When you kick him out, do you think the chances are very good he'll try to come back? Yes, very, very good. So when he comes back to put a symptom or the same thing upon you, don't let him do it. You know, just like that boy out there in New Mexico that his daddy called me and his son was in the uh, 14 seizure in 10 days and they went to a Methodist church and he put the phone down to the boy's ear and I rebuked that devil of seizure and that little boy was instantly healed. He was instantly delivered is what it was. And for months, the little boy walked totally free of all seizures. First time in his life. A couple months later, I had several people from that Methodist church here at a healing school. And then they took a bunch of my tastes back and it created a tremendous stir in that Methodist church. But yet they knew that little boy. And they knew it, but there was so much unbelief in that place and so much controversy and everything went on around that thing. Finally, that demon came back in that little boy. When that demon came back in that little boy, Daddy don't have enough faith to drive him out. So as far as I know, last time I heard, a man called me and said that little boy started having them seizures again. But yet he didn't have them for months. When that devil comes back, what do you got to do? That's absolutely right. You got to go over and take the Word of God and kick him out. When he starts to come in that son of yours, he starts to have a seizure, you ought to run over and grab that boy by the nap of the neck and say, No, devil. That little boy starts slapping his head and screwing into a screen. You reach up and grab him. You slap him on both sides of the head. Say, You devil of hell, you ain't going to do that. Come out of him in the name of Jesus. Get tough with that beast if you have to. But drive him out and he will go. Just like that woman down there at the healing school at church in Dallas just a couple months ago. She walked up. I said, What's your problem? She couldn't even talk. I finally asked her husband. I said, what's wrong? He told me the problem. I said, that's just a demon. I was holding her hand, shaking her hand, put my hand on her shoulder. He's standing right behind her. I just said, you devil of hell, I know you're in there. I said, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And what happened? Blew everybody away. She started shaking her head back and forth with her eyes closed, screaming, no, she belongs to me and I'm not coming out. I said, oh, yes, you are. I know who you are, you devil of hell. And I said, you don't intimidate me in the slightest. I said, you are coming out. And she got violent. They do that. I just looked over at Wally. I said, Wally, grab her other shoulder and her other hand. Grab her. I said, she ain't getting away. And so then she plopped down in a chair. Her husband's backed up. What is this? I said, no problem, sir. Your wife just got a demon. I said, no big deal. Every night you go to bed with her, you go to bed with that devil. <laughs> so I said, don't you think it's time we kick him out? He said, I think so. And so we kicked that devil out of her. Before it's over, she was totally, completely set free. How much power do we have over the enemy? All. But there's people standing around there with, with their eyes this big. They had never seen a demon manifest in a human being. But yet you've seen devils manifest sometimes when somebody does something. I had a woman the other day said, I said something to my husband. He looked me right in the eye and said, if his eyes caged and they turned a different color. And said, he screamed at me. I've never seen my husband do what he did. I said, that wasn't your husband. That was a devil in your husband that did that. Can anybody have a demon? Yeah, let me, let me not bust your bubble, but I think everybody's got one, at least. Probably more than one. 
I don't think there's a single person on this earth that don't have a devil either in them or sitting on your shoulder. He's waiting to get you. I believe Satan has sent them devils to us. And they may be one sitting on each shoulder, one on top of your head and everything else waiting to get in you. And all you got to do is yield to one of them and he's right in. When Howard Pittman saw that demon of lust in come inside of that man, he said, the Lord showed me how these things work. He said, I was in a hospital and I saw a woman, a nurse, and a man walk up talking to her and said she was a fairly attractive woman. And he said, I saw this man talking to her and all of a sudden I saw a green-like frog coming out of the floor. I said, he's coming up and I said, what is that thing? And the angel told him, he said, that's a demon of lust. He said, that demon of lust is attacking his mind to get him to think about having sex with that woman. And said, he's yielding. And said, the more he yields, that's why it's getting bigger. And the demon get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, the demon disappeared into the man's face. He said, what happened? He said, he yielded to the point he allowed the demon to come into him. He said, now has a demon of lust living in his body. And he will not be able to control his thoughts. What's he got to do? Repent and drive that devil out in the name of Jesus. The Lord literally showed that manifestation happening of a demon coming in to a person, to Howard Pittman, in the spirit world back in about 1979. And, of course, it makes good sense to me. When I listen to him, I talked to him an hour and a half the other day on the telephone. It's amazing, you know, what he has seen in the spirit world. How much power do we have over the devil? When did Jesus heal us? 2,000 years ago. It's already done. So if we repent of our sins and take authority over the devil and drive him away, you have to get healed in the name of Jesus. Some of you can get healed instantly. Some of you will take a little while. But he healed every one of you. So you don't want to give up. You want to stand on the word. And you receive your manifestation of your healing. And as long as you walk in obedience to the Word, you don't have to be sick. You don't have to be sick. It's a wonderful thing to walk in divine health. You know that? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to the end of another healing school. Lord, I praise you and thank you for your Word, which you said you sent your Word and healed your people. So, Lord, all we got to do is repent. You forgive us. And then we have to drive out that devil and receive our healing. And then help us, Lord, to walk in obedience to your word so we don't sin no more. So we don't have to be sick no more. In Jesus' name, amen.